855-450 free. That's the SACL toll-free call in line here on Free Talk Live. 855-450-3733. You can call in and talk about whatever you want to talk about here on Free Talk Live. That's what we do. It's an open line show. You can call in, talk about whatever you want. Also, the website, it's open to you to uh, link to whatever you wish. We've there's uh, You can link to blog posts and news stories, whatever you'd like. It's an interactive website. You can vote up other people's stories. They can vote yours up. It's completely up to you. It's freetalklive.com. So it's Mark with you. Nemi. And Wayne. Now, Nemi, you are a new voice on the air, and uh, I I think uh, everybody deserves to know um, a little bit about you. So please introduce yourself to the listeners, if you would. I I really have. Get up close to that mic, if you would. (laughs) I I really have no claim to fame aside from being a New Hampshire native and a friend to the Free State Project. Well, I thought that uh, I thought you were worth having uh, worth having on the phone. So it's uh, on the on the air here tonight. So it's uh, it's enough of a claim to fame for me. You know, she was the lady who called last week when Dennis was on with us. Who was very, I thought, very articulate and impressive. So I'm, I'm glad to have her t- tonight well, on the you, air Wade. with us. You are a bit of a friend to Dennis, are you not? I am a I bit of a friend to Dennis. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, the story I have to start it all out uh, this evening is from ActivistPost.com, and it is just a surprisingly strange story. It's about this lady and her lemon tree that the F that the USDA wanted very, very badly. Um, here she goes. She says, and and her name is, uh, let's see if I can pull it up here, Bridget. Um, she says, I'll start from the beginning. Three years ago, I read an article in a local newspaper about Meyer lemon trees. It said how easy they were to grow inside and how they brightened up the winters with sweet smelling flowers and fruit. And I love gardening. My young niece shares my love gardening. So it seemed like the perfect thing to buy. I looked online. I found the company, MeyerLemonTree.com. I listed the states they could. Um, it listed the states they couldn't ship to, and since Wisconsin was not one of them, I felt safe in ordering. It was clearly a big company, and I did not, in a million years, think that there was anything wrong with buying from them. The tree arrived in great shape, and it just took off. My whole family enjoyed the flowers and the sweet smell, and it was very exciting to watch the lemons as they grew. Spent a lot of time on this uh, tree, and it clearly paid off because it was a very healthy tree. Then, three years later, out of the blue, I received a letter from the USDA. It included a flyer stating that my tree would be seized. I would not be compensated by the government and that it would be destroyed. The fact sheet also said they verified with federal law enforcement databases that I was at the current address. So apparently the federal government knows where you live, just so you know. (laughs) I went on to state that while I um, it it went on to state that while I would not face any penalties at this point, if I were to be found in possession of uh, regulated citrus again, I could face fines of eleven hundred to sixty thousand dollars. The letter asked me to call the agent from the USDA to discuss this matter. It stated the issue was uh, with citrus greening and citrus canker. I'm reasonably certain a plant that's taking off like that, that has been indoors for three years, does not have citrus canker. I don't know anything about citrus greening, but I am from Florida, and we know a little bit about citrus canker. So so wouldn't it be better if they just, even if you say they have the right to to come in your house and, 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 and regulate this plant, why not just look at it and say, okay, it doesn't have canker, see you later? Why, well, 
why are they harassing her? They don't to take, take it any, they don't take any chances when it comes to these things. They just decide, you know, this is this batch of trees is bad, and they'll just they'll destroy a but, whole grove. But this isn't even canker. a state that's typically where where citrus typically grows. They got it in their minds that this was a bad plant. Um, that you know this this company had shipped out a batch of bad plants or whatever. Uh, so they were going to get them all, every one of them. Is essentially what happened. Are they going to replace her plant? No, they're not. No, exactly. <laughs> they own you, and they own your plants. Why would they have to replace them? So anyway, she goes on. I truly thought this was a joke. So I looked them up online. I was shocked to discover how many other people had had trees seized and many without warning. The feds just showed up at their doors. One woman had written that hers was seized and that she was told by the USDA the replacement tree offered by the company was compliant. Then the USDA turned up and seized that one, too. I bring this up because I mentioned to the USDA officer when I spoke to her. And but uh, more on that in a moment. Since this letter arrived on a Saturday, I gave much thought as to what to do. I thought about trying to take it to a friend's house, and I spent a lot of time and money on this tree, and it upset me that the government would just take it, um, take it from me. However, the tree required a fair amount of attention, and I didn't want to burden someone else with that or stick them with, in the middle of all this. And I was angry and upset. I've never had any contact with the federal government other than the everyday things like paying taxes and such, and could not believe that a tree purchased legally three years ago would elicit this sort of action. I thought about ignoring the letter, but based on their others' experiences of having them show up unannounced, I knew that wouldn't work either. I called the agent Monday, and she explained that they had to seize the tree because the company obtained it from a vendor that had gotten it from Florida. This was the reason, Wayne. The company had obtained it from a vendor that had gotten the tree from Florida. And how are we to know um, that they, what, when they deem that... Um, there were, there were, and parts of Florida were quarantined, and how are we to know uh, when they deemed that that was to be? She said they seized my information from the company that sold the tree, and they were tracking everyone down. I told her, if this is such a threat, I don't understand why it took three years. And why they have to take it if, if they can clearly see that it's not infected with the canker. Can, can it get the canker later on? Does this canker lie dormant and then come back at any time? Or, or is it usually they have it or they don't? That's pretty much the, the long and the short of it, in my experience. I mean, you can ha- it can have less canker and more canker, but generally that stuff grows and spreads, and you'll know right away. This is what really ticks me off the most. It's not like this tree just arrived and I was uh, contact and I was just contacted about the problem. It was three years later. If the government thought it was such a risk, it doesn't say much that it took them three years to do anything about it. The officer stated that I could get a replacement tree from the company. At that point, I brought up that I had read that other people had done that and had been assured those were compliant trees and that they were seized, too. This agent did admit that that had happened. I mentioned the fine I was threatened with, and she said it was only a case-by-case basis and that they weren't really going to go after the consumers. I asked if I got the replacement tree. How was I to know the feds wouldn't be knocking at my door again in three years? And she said she didn't know what to tell me. I voiced my disgust with the way in which this flyer was written, and she said it was done by the national USDA PR people and that she had nothing to do with that. I asked if they had a warrant in order to obtain this tree, and she said no. I asked what would happen if I declined to give it up. She said no one had ever done that before and that she would have to talk to her supervisor. I asked her to please do so. Well, a participant in the chat room is is asking about the, the federal authority to actually go in and do this. 
Well, we're going to get to that and what the um, the the authority uh, that they claim is. And remember, authority is what they claim for themselves. <laughs> you know, um, it's. And frankly, I think if an agency wants the authority to do something, it goes to Congress and says, hey, we need a law to be able to do this or that. Ah, They'll just get it. To me, it sounds like a slow day at the office, really. You know, let's go take this single tree. That that has no problem. Well, I think it's been. I think it's like an ongoing project. It's like, oh yeah, we got to get these trees, and they just pass them out as uh, people have time, you know. And three years. I mean, three right, years right. it takes to get around to this tree. If citrus canker was a problem in Wisconsin, and this tree was going to be tree zero, it would have already been tree zero. There's nothing that going after it three years later is going to do. So I called back the next day, and she told me that while they were. Hoping I would voluntarily give up the tree wasn't a choice. It was an order. I asked what would happen. She said that she would um, have someone call me back, and a supervisor did. And she told me that uh, they were going to get the tree one way or the other. And if I refused, that they would quarantine it, obtain a warrant, and bring federal law enforcement officers into my house to take the tree. She told me, Two and th- two or three times, if the tree disappeared while it was under quarantine, I would be in violation. So um, if uh, someone informs the USDA that the tree died, what do they do? When I was pressed, uh, when I pressed her about the time that I had had this tree and what they did if other people said that theirs had died, she told me that they may repeat visits back and surveyed yards and spotted many in people's front hallways. The USDA is peering through people's windows looking for lemon trees. <laughs> well, what's the purpose of this regulation? Is it not to prevent the spread of this canker or whatever they're concerned about? They're ca- concerned about canker and citrus greening, and I don't know that. Are you a cigarette smoker? I was too for many years. You know that crap's going to kill you, right? There's a healthier option. 22,000 times healthier. Vaporsmiths.com. A pack a day smoker will save $120 a month and it tastes better. No more ashtray mouth. No smell. No secondhand smoke. You could use it just about anywhere. Free shipping on orders over $60 and a free starter kit with the purchase of 40 cartomizers with coupon code FTL. Call 855 to get vapor or go to vaporsmiths.com. Free Talk Live, 855-453. I apologize to everybody. I had the, uh, the, I had something muted here. Still new at this whole radio thing. It's only been 10 years now. <laughs> <laughs> You can give us a call at 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live. And Free Talk Live makes available to you archives going all the way back to 2006. You can have them completely free. Go to archives.freetalklive.com and get them. The first seven days are available right on the front page of freetalklive.com. After that, it's archives.freetalklive.com. It's Mark with you. Nami. And Wayne. And we are reading a story um, about, well, the USDA's war on shrubbery. <laughs> you want some shrubbery? That's, that's right. So this uh, this this lady apparently had um, her, you know, the, the 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 USDA had a had a well a citrus item up their butt for this lady's lemon tree. And apparently they had been going after these lemon trees that were shipped out by this uh, this company. Uh, what was it up here? It was um, 
Oh, it was a citrus shipping company because I don't see the uh, name of it here. Uh, MeyerLemonTrees.com. And I guess they had sh- shipped some stuff out from Florida. There was no evidence necessarily that the trees that they had shipped out were diseased, but they just decided that, um, you know, since they were from Florida and from some areas that might be bad, that they needed to go after them. It took them three years to get there. And apparently some people had lied to them about, oh, no, that tree died. Well, they would come to their houses and look through their windows for these trees. These are indoor lemon trees. Not saying I'm a real expert on indoor lemon trees, but they're, you know, that's what that's what they were. And apparently it's real nice, you know, put off a sweet fragrance and then you've got, you know, a, a big, beautiful lemon tree in your house during the winter. People up north love that stuff. So anyway, um, it's going on with her story. And she says, oh, um, I also mentioned that she could count on um, one hand. The, the, this, this is the gal that was uh, the, the supervisor from the USDA going after her tree and threatening her. Said she could count on one hand how many t- times that they had uh, had to do that sort of thing is most people relented and just gave them their tree. So um, this uh, lady goes on here and her name's Bridget says, I was torn. I'm not a quitter by nature, but at the same time, I didn't want my family members to be at home when the law enforcement showed up with this warrant. This is an old lady, by the way, (laughs) Um, storm in and seize my tree. I did not have the money either to try to fight the government in court, which I did point out to the one agent that they clearly knew they held the upper hand. With utter anger, I relented and said I'd give it up. The original agent agent wouldn't make an appointment after three, so I had to bring the tree to work. <laughs> she came into my workplace with a red hazmat bag, <laughs> but my tree was so big and healthy it didn't fit, so she took it in my garbage bag. I did snap a picture of her doing so, which I told her I was going to do. I also had uh, contacted our local newspaper the day before, and they did a story on it. And th- this uh, this is uh, put in the form of a um, uh, by activistpost.com, the form of an interview, and says, Did you realize at the time that you were basically threatened with a federal raid if you did not comply? Because you were. And Bridget goes on, yes, I did feel threatened with a federal raid. I, I think that being told that they were going to get the tree one way or the other leaves one with little choice. I felt utterly violated, angry, and upset. I pay my taxes. I obey the law. And this is how I was treated. I did nothing wrong. I would expect these actions towards someone running a drug house, not someone who owned a lemon tree. I wonder if they have a big pit they dig and they put all the lemon trees in this big pit or if they just have a maybe a lemon tree graveyard. I mean, what do they do with these things? Do they burn them? Uh, they probably take it, take it to the office, take a look, say, oh, this doesn't have any canker on it and send it off with an employee. See, when you, when you say quarantine, I think E.T. So, <laughs> so her house is covered in plastic. Her car is covered in plastic. Her office is covered in plastic. Like, oh, how serious is this, really? This is, this is just, just how the government essentially has to do things. We're from the government. We're here to help. We're going to take care of this canker problem. And what else would they be able to do? They have to go after the lemon criminals and the, you know, the people that might want to keep their lemon tree and, you know, grow this lemon tree is giving this lady joy. I'll bet it really does. I'll bet it's really, really nice to have an, uh, an attractive citrus tree because citrus trees have the shiny green leaves. And during the winter time, you know, you can, you do the little topiary thing a little bit with them so you can shape it. It's a nice spherical shape and has the lemons popping out all over the place. And, you know, at the right time of the year, it has, uh, the fragrant lemon blossoms. I bet this tree's a real joy to have, especially if a, a lady with a, a green thumb like this has kept it up. And there's no way to put 
an, a value on the work that you do in this. This isn't a lemon. You're not talking about a $10 lemon tree or whatever she spent on a $50. I have no idea. We got a crab apple tree and I think we spent $600. I mean, you can, so you can spend way too much money on a, uh, on a sit, on a citrus tree if you want to, depending on how large it is. This one fit into a garbage can. I imagine she got it in a small, uh, you know, five uh, gallon pot or something. I imagine it wasn't a very big tree, uh, shipped through the mail, but you can't put a price on three years of spent on something like this. My wife has a garden and I, I, these are the most expensive vegetables you could ever possibly buy because of the amount of time and energy I've put into this garden. Now I've decided that I don't like the way her garden looks as, as it is. So I'm putting down all weed killer around in a little pathways and putting in, uh, you know, uh, mulch and stuff so that she can have a nice place to put her, um, uh, wheelbarrow and stuff like that. This is a hobby. This isn't, uh, you know, this isn't a farm. It's not about how many dollars and cents are cherry tomatoes cost this is about the the joy and the way of life that we wish to live and this is about the government coming after those fundamental things like life liberty and the pursuit of happiness this is a kick right in the crotch of pursuit of happiness about two years ago there was some kind of canker with tomato plants and one of the big retail big box box retailers was selling these tomato plants and then as it turned out they were spreading uh, the canker or whatever they had yeah, they to had other some, tomatoes. Remember that one? Yeah, the blight, I believe is what the that blight. was called. Yeah. Now, why weren't they going around stealing people's tomato plants? Because tomato plants die very quickly, and <laughs> the USDA could not possibly react quickly enough to go get tomato plants. I mean, I, I have heard of tomato plants that go on and on and on, and maybe they do, but up here, tomato plants outdoors die. And <laughs> that's, that is the end of that story. They will not make it through the first frost. You know, I, I have heard of there's the Epcot Center. There's a giant tomato plant, or something like that. Maybe it's I don't. Maybe there's some perennials, some annuals. I couldn't couldn't speak to it. I know that up here they also sell hibiscus as annuals. However, in Florida they're perennials, <laughs> so that is that. Now let me go on with uh, with uh, Bridges' stories uh, story here. I don't know for a fact that they'd um, that they had driven by before sending the letter, but it seemed a little odd. The supervisor would tell me that they survey yards looking for trees. Now, survey is the term they use for creeping around your house and looking in your windows. Now, is this if they suspect that you've purchased one, or they just do they it to know everybody? that they that you purchased one? This is that they expect you have one or not. So the interviewer here from uh, Activist Post says, do you believe that their actions are really motivated by environmental safety? Bridget, in my own mind, I do not believe they took this tree because of the citrus disease. I'm not certain. um, I'm not certainly selfish enough to have wanted to keep a tree if I thought that it were a hazard to the nation's citrus crops. That disease doesn't affect humans or animals, according to the literature they sent me. It causes misshapen fruit and yellow leaves, neither of which my tree had. And even if my tree were sick, it'd been there for three years. It's a little late for them to be so uh, hysterical over it. Free Talk Live. The Ruger LC9, compact, powerful, and perfect for personal protection. The LC9 is only slightly larger than the popular Ruger LCP, features a checkered grip frame to provide a secure and comfortable grip, and includes a finger grip extension floor plate. The LC9 also has a dovetailed high-visibility three-dot sight system, blued alloy steel barrel, manual safety, and loaded chamber indicator. The LC9, another innovative American-made product from Ruger. Learn more about the Ruger LC9 at ruger.com LC9.
855-453. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live. You can give us a call. Talk to us about what's on your mind, 855-450-3733. Are you a cigarette smoker? I was, too, for many years. Now, you know they're not healthy for you. And there is a healthier option, 22,000 times healthier, Vaporsmiths.com. They make one of the best e-cigarettes in the market today. A -a pack-a-day smoker will save about $120 a month just by switching, and it tastes better. No more ashtray mouth, no more smell in your clothes, no secondhand smoke, and you can use it just about anywhere. It's free shipping on orders over $60 and a free starter kit with the purchase of 40 cardamizers with coupon code FTL. Just go to Vaporsmiths.com, use coupon code FTL. They'll give you a free starter kit. They'll ship it to you for free. All you have to do is buy 40 cardamizers. Or you can call this number 855-2-GET-VAPOR. It's Vaporsmiths.com. Call the number 855-2-GET-VAPOR. Go to Vaporsmiths.com. Don't forget to use coupon code FTL. And I read this story from Activist Post about this lady dealing with the USDA about her lemon tree. And I think it's so important because people just don't know what it's like to deal with the government until it runs across your path. Here's a lady who spent a lot of time dealing with a uh, that, you know, she was raising this lemon tree with her and her niece were spending time on it together. And they she had, you know, grown this little lemon tree into quite a house plant. And then the USDA decides it's going to come get it. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to you, but imagine if you prize something. Imagine this is your dog. Or something like that that the government wants to come get for whatever reason. They claim that it has uh, some disease that will cause it to have misshapen fruit. (laughs) I mean, you know, a a communicable plant disease that causes misshapen fruit for a house plant doesn't seem like that big of a deal. A citrus plant in Wisconsin. I mean, it has to be commuted from one citrus plant to another. Where is it going to go? It's Wisconsin. Well, when you start to see all these really absurd regulations and all these things they're doing now, I don't, th- I don't think you ever saw this 20 or 30 years ago, even though the Internet wasn't around. You just never heard about these ridiculous things. And it makes you wonder if they do it now just to show you who's boss. They were running. I think they do it because they want a job. These USDA people were peeping in people's windows. They were threatening to bring the, uh, you know, to, to, to get a warrant and bring the cops into our house and get this plant if they needed to. But, th- but there's so much around us now that to me looks to like a lot like psychological warfare. Uh, you know, <laughs> if, and, and whether then, it is or not, it certainly shapes up that way, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely, because then you, you, you're a lot more paranoid about what you do, and, and you want to stay out of their way. Let me read what the last line here. This is asked Bridget. What would she do if she had it all to do over again? She says, I don't know what I would do if I had it to do over again. I would like to think that I'd push it and demand a warrant, as is my right, but I knew the tree was going to go one way or the other. I pushed and questioned as best as I did, but... In the end, these people paid our, um, paid with our tax dollars, treated me like a common criminal. And that's really what it's like. You know, this poor lady who worked that hard on this lemon tree that they decided that they had to have, she wanted to protect it a little bit, and they treated her like a hood. And it's just sick. They, at least they didn't tase her. <laughs> that much is true. And this is, it, it, it just goes to show that, you know, if you don't stand up for other people's rights on other issues, that at some point or another they'll come after you on your thing. In this case, it's lemon trees. <laughs> Let's go to Seth in Florida. Seth? Hey. What's going on? You're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Um, I called a couple days ago about uh, 
police stopping me. That's right. You were a, uh, a young man out at uh, past curfew in Florida, and that makes you a bad, bad kid looking for a, a milkshake, I believe. <laughs> yeah. So what um, happened? After the cops stopped me and everything, I, I had to call a friend to come pick me up who never showed up. And then so the after an hour, he told me that he was going to drive me home, and I didn't feel comfortable getting in the back of his car. So... uh I just asked him if I could walk home because there's no walking curfew. There's just driving curfew. Okay, that's I interesting. I didn't know that that was the case. It's a driving curfew for teenagers in Florida. Yeah. And how how old and, are you? Uh, how old are you? 17. 17. So it's for 18 and under? Yeah. Gotcha. I Go- need my and, milkshake um, fix, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, he told me that I couldn't walk home and that he like ordered me to get in the back of his car and I didn't know what else to do, so... I got in the back of his car. Yeah, it's interesting. You've been ordered by a police officer. And this is, here's they're using their power mm-hmm. over sort of a young person because they know they don't know all the rules and all that stuff. I mean, authority is a very uh, motivating thing. Um, obviously, you don't have to get in the back of a police car, a police officer's car unless you're under arrest. Did he tell you that you were very handsome or anything like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what happened? You got in the car? Yeah, and... Uh... I was with a friend also, and uh, he got in the back of the car too, and uh, drove me to my house. And uh, on the way home, was driving much more recklessly than I was when I was driving. Oh yeah, well they can do that. Did he have his lights on? What? Did he have his lights on? Yes. Okay. Well, that must have been cool. Yeah. We get to I get to turn the lights on. Yeehaw! Just like Dukes of Hazard. And, um, tried to guilt trip me and my friend by saying he had uh, like three disturbances called in and a suicide threat and then uh, after they uh, he dropped us off at my house we walked to the convenience store and he was just there drinking coffee <laughs> <laughs> no donuts I had three disturbances and a suicide threat son you boys have you you have look at all the problems you've created by just making me hassle young people driving down the road at 1 a.m. looking for milkshakes cruising the neighborhoods asking for milkshakes from strangers and that kind of thing look what you've done boy and then he's out drinking coffee yeah did did he see you see him um I don't think so I, you know, I wonder, would you, at, at this point, would you have, um, Nimi, would you have asked him, um, you know, would you have said, hey, Mr. Police Officer? Hey, how'd that suicide go for you? <laughs> <laughs> how'd that go? I hope everybody's okay, officer, because well, you look like you're, you're really disturbed. You had to get a cup of coffee to, to calm yourself down, huh? Yes. Well, listen, that, So what the parents say when you got brought home uh, with a, uh, uh, in a cop car with the uh, lights flashing? Well, uh, they were asleep, but I had to tell them later because he also gave me a ticket for uh, being out past one, which I plan on taking to traffic court. Very good. Good what, for you. What, um, where's the car? What happened with the car? Uh, my car? Yep. It was left on the side uh, of the road, right? Ended up, yeah, I ended up getting a ride from my friend back to the car after curfew had ended. And what time was that? Like 6 a.m. or something? 5 a.m. 5 a.m. So you just can't be driving between uh, midnight and 5? Is that the idea? 1 a.m. and 5. 1 a.m. and 5. Is there really any point in this? 
<laughs> it just makes kids stay at other people's houses. I suppose they could sober up, I guess, is the idea. I don't know. Seth, I appreciate the uh, the the call. What what do you what do you feel you've taken away from this experience? Um that the police don't always tell the truth. Yeah, they certainly don't always tell the truth. Please keep us posted how it goes for you. Yeah, I want to hear about uh, what happens as as far as the court case goes, okay? All right. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Seth. 855-450 free. You can call in about uh your story with the police and you know it just seems like when they go after these kids i understand why they choose to say you know young people are dangerous and all that stuff but it's also kind of wrong to punish the good with the bad because it it seems like the behavior that you you know if you treat people like they're naughty little kids they're liable to act like naughty little kids it seems to Mm me it was always wrong when the elementary school teacher would make everybody put their head down on the desk when one person had, uh, you know, made some kind of noise or something. And I think it's wrong to punish all kids for being young if some young kids commit crimes. 855-450-3733. You got a defense for curfews? Love to hear it. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. You know the U.S. dollar is devaluing. You can see it happening every day. You know a new currency will take over at some point. Wouldn't you like to be in on the ground floor? Bitcoins. They're a decentralized, anonymous internet currency. They're free to use, free to accept, and free from inflation forever. You can use them anywhere in the world. Find out more at weusecoins.org. Don't be kicking yourself in the pants in a month. Your dollars are going down. Learn more about Bitcoins at weusecoins.org. That's weusecoins.org. Eight fifty five four fifty three. That's the SACL toll free call in line. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. You can call in with whatever you'd like to talk about. That's what we do here on Free Talk Live. One eight five five four five zero three seven three three. You've probably been hearing us talk about bitcoins for a while now, and maybe you didn't know how to get them. Well, there's an easy way. You can get Bitcoins by depositing cash at thousands of banking locations across the U.S., including Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Once you have your Bitcoins, you can use them to pay anyone in the world with no transaction fees or third parties getting involved. As a matter of fact, uh, just last week, I used on two occasions, I used Bitcoins to buy stuff from Amazon. I went through uh, spendbitcoins.com and did their little process. I spent my Bitcoins. I got my, my books and I got some uh, coconut flour and stuff. My wife wanted to do some 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 stuff for cooking and i did it all with bitcoins you can too it works just like a person-to-person cash transaction which means that it's anonymous but it's over the internet so it's essentially internet cash it's uh, you know the, the government's out there not out there tracking you and you know having your account information like they can with all those other uh, sort of fee you know those uh, payment ways on the internet to learn more visit exchangebitcoins.com again it's exchangebitcoins.com Dot com. Wayne, there's a few more Ron Paul articles out there, and I think we probably should go through them. 
Well, there's a few very interesting ones. One is on Fox Business. It looks like it was either early this week or late last week. There was a body language expert named Tanya Riemann who said Ron Paul is 100% genuine, that he's that his body language says that he's the real thing. Interesting. You know, I, when I watch these... Um, <laughs> We had a local host um, here interview Ron Paul. His name's Dan Mitchell. He does the the local show here in Keenan, in New Hampshire. We believe we have the God given responsibility to vet presidential candidates for the rest of America. We know that our little state decides, you know, makes and kills candidates. So um, we've got to do a good job with them. And uh, so Dan has interviewed quite a few presidential candidates, talked to quite a few of the he's talked to probably every president for the last 15 years on the telephone at some point or another when uh, doing their campaign stuff. And he said, you know, I may not agree with you on everything, but. You've given me the straightest answers in 20 minutes that I've ever give, gotten from a politician. And I think that this is – people can really tell it. When I'm looking at the rest of those politicians up on the stage, they just seem so creepy and rehearsed. Mm-hmm. If they're rehearsed, you know they're lying. You know what's really fascinating is when you watch John Stewart interview Ron Paul because – I haven't gotten to see that yet. I'm going to – Yeah, the last interview was a three-part interview. And John Stewart is very, very thoughtful. His questions are very thoughtful because he comes from a point of view of somebody who's kind of a lefty. You know, but he really likes Ron Paul because even though I don't think he dis- he agrees with him on everything, he knows he can trust him. He knows that he's consistent. He's been saying the same thing for over thirty years, and his, his some of his questions will be something like, uh, "Well, you know, Ron, uh, just for the campaign." Well, the sake of the campaign, why don't you flip-flop a little bit? Then they'll have something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, this is the, uh, about a lefty uh, interviewing Ron Paul. Is You know, lefties have a lot that they can agree with um, Ron Paul on. Because, the anti-war aspect. Yeah, and the, yeah. the foreign policy and, and, and several things. Um, the And, you know, everybody agrees. The economy's in the, the tank. Um, not everybody agrees on how to uh, get it out. But if you're Thinking about you know how lefties they agree with Ron Paul on some issues but really disagree with him on others. Well, you know the would who would you rather be running against Obama in um, you know in in the general election? Would you rather it be Ron Paul or Rick Perry or Newt, or Newt Romney or you know Santorum <laughs> or whatever they they oh, are boy. out there? Well, All these guys that are the same. Um, yeah, and those, or would you rather it be Ron Paul? And if you want it to be Ron Paul, it's not like you've got anything to vote for in the primary anyway. Get out there, register Republican, vote for Ron Paul in the primary, and then at least if you lose, you win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. But I, I think Ron Paul probably – I don't see any other Republican right now running who can capture more independent voters yeah. and more disgruntled Democratic voters than Ron Paul. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think Ron Paul has the biggest chance to win in the general than uh, than any other candidate has because the Republicans are going to fall in line one way or the other. Uh, you know, there may be a few that say, I'm staying home. He's just too bad on national security or whatever it is that they say. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to rush out and vote Constitution Party? I mean, what, what, I, I don't even think there is a party that is as bad on um, uh, on foreign policy as the Republican Party. They can't even find it. Uh, oh, I, so, well, no, you Repu- know what? The National Socialists have been running somebody. They can vote for the Nazis. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> like the guy who called the other night right, last night. Yes. Scott the bigot. There yeah. you go. Um, so, you know, I mean, Republicans are going to fall in line. They're going to vote for Ron Paul because he's good on fiscal issues. The Democrats, many of them will say, well, at the very least, we got a peace candidate um, in, in place. And I'll tell you, there's going to be a lot of blue Republicans voting. And I think that 
that that's one of the things that they're not the the expectation is you know pe- people aren't really expecting is because they're asking well these are republican voters and potentially republican voters people are likely to vote republican but i don't think a lot of people know at this point that ron paul is going to get a lot of people that are you know going to switch over to being republicans as a result or switch day of or something not like to that. mention all the young people that are uh, in his campaign that he's bringing a lot of young people to the liberty movement and in the long run that's who's going to bring the republican party into the next decade in the next generation yeah, the uh, Republican Party needs new blood. There's no doubt about it. It's uh, it's spent far too much of its time um, attempting to be sort of uh, cranky wasps, and um, you know that just that that's not a way to grow a party. What yeah. I what I took from the John Stewart interview, and I, I I agree with Wayne. It's definitely worth a watch, and it's freely available on the internet for anyone who hasn't seen it. Is um, he's talking about gradual change. He I, I think he understands that he's probably not going to win by a landslide, but he is changing hearts and minds to quote another Republican. But I, I, I think he's doing a fantastic job. And, and as I've, I've talked with Mark about, you know, if he takes 20% in New Hampshire, I will be thrilled. Yeah, I think the 20% um, in New Hampshire would be great. At this point, he's polling steadily. I mean, I've seen him get numbers as high as 20, 20%, but I don't trust those any more than I trust that Herman Cain's in the lead. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's been a lot of people, you know, talking about Herman Cain being uh, in the lead. Uh, he's won this uh, one uh, Zogby poll and uh, uh, the Florida Straw poll, and apparently he's the, he's the new golden child. I'm a little skeptical as to whether well, ye- or not that's true. Well, yesterday, according to Infowars.com, there's, there's a new Harris poll that says Ron Paul would beat Obama 51 to 49. If, if the election were today, and only Ron Paul and Mitt Romney would beat Obama, according to the poll, which found that Obama would defeat every other Republican candidate, including Rick Perry. The survey is another indication that Paul is quickly moving into second place and becoming Romney's main challenger as Rick Perry's campaign crashes and burns. Yeah, Rick Perry is, as you know, at this point is portraying himself to be as conservative as you can be, and he doesn't give the anti-immigration folks any place to run. So he has, uh, you know, um, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult decision for a lot of the independents out there, and some of them may just decide to go with Obama. Um, You've got a big government Republican versus a big government Democrat, and that's not a heck of a lot of choice and i think that right you know you're looking at you are looking at romney or paul i've got an article here that says and this is where it where it all boils down to it you can speculate how you want but we know it's about the money people it's about how much money you have to spend on your campaign when times come there's they're not even campaigning right now you don't hear i, I haven't seen a campaign ad yet I mean, maybe there are a few of them out there, but I'm in New Hampshire. I should be hearing. I should be hearing stuff. They're keeping their powder dry right now. Yeah, Mitt Romney, Rick Perry, and Ron Paul have banked millions, but the rest of the Republican presidential hopefuls are struggling or broke four months before the first nominating contest take place. Ahead of a critical fundraising deadline Friday, the GOP. This is when you need to have money in the bank. This is when you need it. If you don't have it ready. To go four months out, when are you going to get it? Mm. And Romney's getting a lot of his money from the articles I've read from Wall Street and big corporations. Ron Paul's getting his money from individuals. 
The push comes before they have to file a three-month summary of their finances. Romney's campaign says that he could raise as much as $18 million this quarter. Perry donors claim that he could hit $10 million, and he started a little later. Paul's campaign asked uh, supporters to celebrate the Texas congressman's uh, birthday with a donation, and they gave him $1.6 million in just one day. Um, at this point, I don't don't think the Paul, the, uh, the Paul campaign is revealing exactly how much it has. The rest of the field, though, lags far behind, putting their candidates way into question. They said it just into question. But uh, I think that that's, that's what we need to keep in mind when it comes to presidential campaigns is that it's about the money. And there are only three of them right now that can really be called – you know, top tier candidates. I don't think Bachman's campaign can even be considered in the top tier. Herman Cain, you know, he's he's knocking on the door, but I don't think he can legitimately can be considered a top tier candidate. But if point. a Republican candidate is perceived by a percentage of the population as George Bush 2.0, Obama has a chance to win. And both of them, both Romney and Perry, could easily be considered uh, Bush 2.0, I think, and especially Perry. 855-450 free. Have we got it all wrong? Do you know how this presidential thing is going to turn out? When the power goes out for any length of time, you've got problems, starting with food that's going bad, even in the freezer. No communications, living by candlelight or flashlight, it's a bad place to be. The solar flare cycle is heating up and has already done damage to the grid. NASA and NOAA tell us that next year and in 2013, it will take down large sections of the grid for days or weeks at a time. Hurricanes and floods also cut power for several days or weeks. You can protect yourself now. The SG-1 solar generator by Sound Wisdom produces 5,000 watts of household current, comes with 230 amp hours of battery, 220-watt solar panels, and a built-in battery maintainer desulfator. This is the only portable system you can add as many batteries or solar panels as you like. It will also convert power from windmills, water wheels, DC welders, or gas generators, any source of 12-volt DC power. See it now at freetalklivesolar.com. Technicians are standing by now to answer your questions even during the Sunday night show. freetalklivesolar.com. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live's Live Wednesday edition with Mark. Nemi. And Wayne. You can give us a call, talk about what you want to talk about, 855-450-3733. The website's available to you also where you can upload stories and blog posts and things like that that you'd like to uh, show other folks and they can vote them up, vote them down. Same for you. You can do the same. Also, there's the uh, the listening options at listen.freetalklive.com where you can see all the different listening options for Free Talk Live. We make it easy for you. Not only do we have more than 100 great, um, 100 great radio stations, also uh, satellite options, Live streams, webcam, listen lines, all of it for you. The listen lines are ways for you to make a telephone call and listen on your phone. It's listen.freetalklive.com. Let's go to Alma in Phoenix, Arizona. Alma, you're on Free Talk Live. What's on your mind? Hi, Mark. How are you? All's well. You? I'm great. I uh, wanted to let you guys know that your show is awesome. I'm looking forward to having Ian back. Um, I love hearing all the guests and everything. Um, but I first heard about you guys at Porkfest, actually. I went there with the Phoenix, with Freedom Phoenix and Ernie and Drew and uh, Nick and everyone. And We do was, love the Phoenix, Freedom's Phoenix crew. Mm-hmm. 
We sure do. Yeah, I, st- I started getting involved with the activism in them a few years ago through the Ron Paul campaign. And I've gone down the rabbit hole myself and no longer vote or any of that kind of stuff. But I am wondering why you guys chose um, New Hampshire for the Free State Project. Because, because New Hampshire is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That's the native. I love it. I didn't want to leave when I when I went there. I definitely didn't want to come back to the heat in Arizona. It's ridiculous out here. But um, so, the taxes, the property taxes in itself are so high. Indeed, in New Hampshire. So let me uh, let me get, uh, so let me explain it for everybody though. here. Um, the the Free State Project is a project to move twenty thousand liberty loving individuals to one state. Um, so that they can have an effect on that government in order to reduce it to the size that only the maximum role would be to protect life, liberty, and property. And that's the intention. Um, The creator of the Free State Project, Jason Sorens, came up with the list of the basically the 10 smallest states in the union, um, and he excluded Hawaii uh, because of uh, its politics, and he excluded Rhode Island due to corruption and basically had the, these other states. And, you know, there's a couple of other states that have something to say for themselves. Um, New Hampshire was picked for a couple of reasons. Um, essentially, the people who lived in New Hampshire, there were quite a few people who signed up for the Free State Project that lived in New Hampshire. They believed it to be the best choice, and they put together a list called the 101 Reasons to Move, you know, that New Hampshire should be the Free State or something like that. Are you familiar with anyone um, researching land patents and how to get out of property taxes or maybe repurchasing land? Um, let me, full, let, me let me address let me let me address the uh, the issue of, of the uh, the taxes first. I haven't even got to the property taxes on on New Hampshire yet. So let me address that, and we'll talk about land patents in just a second. So anyway, um, they came up with the idea. You know, they, they, New Hampshire was voted in. It has been rated by the Mercatus Center two times as the freest state in the union. This is before the 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 Free State Project even really took hold on the first vote. And so, I mean, there's there's lots of good reasons why New Hampshire is a great starting point the single biggest complaint about people is um the people have is the property taxes because new hampshire doesn't have a sales tax and it doesn't have um an income tax people you know the, the many of the taxes come from property taxes now right. i would like to point high. out they're, they're really high in some but towns the, the property taxes are high yeah. and they are lower in, in different places some places they're lower some places they're higher but the tax burden in new hampshire as i understand it is the lowest in the union mm-hmm. so you know the taxes is maybe there anyone in the free state project specifically that is focusing on eliminating property taxes well they're working on um, all kinds of tax issues but basically they're in you know the, the free state project has uh, put together organizations like you know helped in the founding of the new hampshire liberty alliance um, and the new hampshire liberty alliance has more than a quarter of the people in the New Hampshire House are endorsed by the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance. So it's, uh, you know, there's essentially a libertarian veto on all spending that goes uh, forward. I don't know about limiting the growth of government in the next few, uh, excuse me, about shrinking the size of government in the next few years, but I'm reasonably certain that the Free State Project has, is going to have a role in limiting the growth of government um, down to nil, essentially. In the next few years, because we have the libertarian veto and that doesn't exist anywhere else in the union. 
Additionally, there's the uh, additionally there's the problem of uh, longstanding just traditionally with the sales and the income tax. There is the, the the no tax pledge that most politicians need to need to either they need to state their case on their position on it before they run for office. And historically speaking, anyone who even remotely suggests an income tax or sales tax is political suicide. Here, yeah. you won't get the votes. Mm-hmm. So instead, they just they jack the property tax, they jack the fees. I mean, to register my car doubled, almost doubled last year, um, and fees for licensing and and other other so things. So they're just going about it different ways. Absolutely, to make up for it, their it's, losses. It's still a tax. It's just not a sales tax or an income tax. There has been a law, a, a bill proposed that would allow people to purchase an allodial tit- title for basically ten years worth of uh, property taxes. And allodial title would mean that they didn't owe property taxes at that point. That would be basically a one lump sum payment for ten years, and then you would, uh, you know, you would essentially really own your land as opposed to the government owning your land in the in the way that you pay rent every year to them um, in property taxes. That has yet to go through. It may be, you know, th- this may be the the time for it to come up. It may not. I don't know. Um, it's going to be, you know, the state's really tight on budgets, and they would love to have these big lump sum payments coming in, but they also know what would they be doing for the future. Well, I'm really looking forward to joining um, the No State Project, wherever that ends up being. I know Mark Stevens has his show and everything, but I'm looking for something more physical, maybe a place where the property taxes are already so low and people are able to maybe buy land at auction for, I don't know, say $300 an acre somewhere and then go from there. And I know that when you buy land at auction, you receive a deed, but you don't sign anything. And yes, on that deed, it does state that you are held accountable for any taxes taxes attached to that property where as if you know you choose a place in northern arizona your property taxes for a whole year could possibly be 30 to 60 dollars yeah and if you live in apache county and you register your cars there you don't even have to go through emissions or anything like that so there are um, advantages to living outside of the city i think it might even we might have a better chance of becoming free sooner if we look at things from that perspective sure uh, but living outside the city has its disadvantages too i mean you're you're it's going to be very difficult to attract young people to uh to live you know far away from things where they've got a two-hour drive to get to a walmart or something like that and the intention here uh you know and and different ideas i'm all for different ideas i I, i'm 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 for them absolutely alma but i'm looking for them (laughs) but i I haven't found them there's I, i found a couple of ideas that seem to make sense to me and um you know right now currently the one that uh, seems the best is is the free state project there's been other projects but they all seem to kind of piddle and fail because they need other people to get involved and that's why the free Free state project has been successful is getting people involved whereas the rest of them haven't and if you go to the free state project website which is freestateproject.org on the left sidebar there's a little section that says, what is the FSP? And if you click it, it opens up and, and it, you'll have the 100 and, 101 reasons to move to New Hampshire. And you might right. want to take a look at those because yeah. there's some pretty compelling reasons there. Yeah. And I mean, you, you can come up with your own ideas and they're great. But I mean, I've got my own, own own idea. We could all be free tomorrow if we all decided to stop paying taxes to the government <laughs> immediately. Let's just get everybody to stop doing that. And they won't, I right? I mean, <laughs> everyone, everyone has their own battles. I'm a full-time slave right now, so yeah. I understand completely more than anyone how 
much I want to get out of this. And if I have to go live in this outside the city and maybe I only have five friends that maybe come out there, I'm just going to have to deal with it. And, you know, at least if I have Internet access, I will be able to. You could do both. Um, New Hampshire has places that have no property taxes. They're, 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 they're different purchases or things. There's different towns, uh, little segments of the state that have no property tax, whatever. And if, uh, you know, I don't know how one gets, I, I've never looked into going out into the wilderness like that, but if you wanted to do that, that's a possibility too. Thanks for the call, Alma. 855-450-FREE. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. Are you looking for a concealed carry holster? Crossbreed Holsters is the home of the world-famous Super Tuck, the most comfortable concealed carry holster on the market today. Try one out and see how truly discreet and comfortable carrying concealed can be. And find out why we call it the ugliest holster you'll ever love. We are the standard others try to imitate. Get the original. Get your Super Tuck at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Again, that's CrossbreedHolsters.com. Eight fifty five four fifty three. It's a sacred toll free call in line here on Free Talk Live eight five five four five zero three seven three three. You can call in and talk about whatever you want to. Alma just called in, talked about you know why the Free State Project. What about land patents? What about living uh, you know free? And you know I'd really like that. I think the worst thing about New Hampshire is its property taxes. I, um, you know, well, maybe maybe the snow and ice, but you know, um, different folks, different strokes. But uh, New Hampshire, the freest state in the union, and I, uh, I, I think that it's going to, on the aggregate, get freer because the rest of the states are governments are going to get bigger and bigger. And if you look at your property tax bill here, you a portion of it goes to the state because they they don't collect income taxes or sales taxes. Right. A portion goes to your county, and part goes to your town. And it depends on the town, because some towns are relatively low. I'm paying less than I did in my house in Florida 10 years ago. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they you've got to give it time to work, too. You know, the Free State Project's only been around for a couple of years, only had, uh, you know, managed to get some some reps in place in the last couple of years. So, um, you know, it takes a while to do any project, especially projects where you're trying to get people on board. The Free State Project already has more than 10,000 signers. So, And, Mark, when you say getting bigger, I think we, we should clarify. I mean, it's the actual, the role of government that you're trying to, to prevent from getting bigger. Because yes. New Hampshire, I don't know how many people out there actually know this we have the third largest parliamentary body in the world that's true as uh, it, well i think it might be the english-speaking world i've uh, i've heard this superlative used in the past I, the german thing seems to get bigger and smaller as uh, you know depending on the year so t- sometimes it sometimes it's the third and the fourth in the world but yeah we're up there for such a tiny little state we yeah. have and we're also operating out of our original state house too a little yeah which means that which means that the average person has their representative represents maybe 2 or 3000 people yeah yeah which yeah. means that you can really really have some kind of effect uh, effect on these these representatives i mean they care about your vote i mean you pr- you and your family are practically a voting block in their district so that matters to them when you call your rep you're getting their home number you're talking to their kid usually. Ah, daddy's not home right now, or whatever. Um, you know, I mean, these these things really happen. I ran for selectman in my town, and I had only lived in the town for ten months. 
and I just sent out a letter to everybody in town. I went down to the town hall. I got, I got a, um, I bought a little database of everyone in town, their addresses. And I sent out a letter about what I believed in, what I wanted to do, and I lost by twenty nine votes. It's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, you know, that's ten months of being in town. Uh, you probably, if you run again, you'll you'll have a much better shot. Not that uh, you know, so, sometimes people decide that that's not their activism. You know, it is that kind of thing. So we were talking about Ron Paul bef- and before the uh, the top of the hour, and. I think there's more that uh, bears mentioning. Currently, you know, people the, the the media is trying to downplay Ron Paul as having a possi- uh, you know, a possibility. I think it's it's actually it's having an effect. Some the people he can't win message that's yeah. being sent constantly on people. And I think that a lot of people believe the message. He can win if people vote for him, and that's the long and the short of it. And if the media keeps saying that he can't win, then people won't vote for him, so then he can't win, right? This It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they acted like he was a, a top-tier candidate, like they act like the rest of these guys, they're not acting like Herman Cain can't win. They're not acting like Michelle Bachman can't win. They don't say the quixotic Michelle Bachman. They don't say those things. Mm -hmm. They say them specifically about Ron Paul. And I think that they're trying to not be, um, you know, viewed as, uh, you know, fringe media or something like that. I mean, somehow or another, Ron Paul and his uh, supporters have gotten the 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 idea. The people have gotten the idea that they're crazy or something like that. But this time around, a lot of his ideas are becoming a lot more mainstream. So I think it's increasingly difficult for them to paint him as the crazy old uncle in the attic. Yeah. And, and when John Stewart um, interviews him, that really gives him mainstream cred. Definitely. So, um, you know, the, the the interview, you were telling me, um, you watched it, Nimi. What was uh, your impression on the interview? Well, I, I haven't seen it. I love John Stewart. I, 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 very I, clever. I, he just, I, he's been on the air for a long time, and, and it never fails to surprise me how much research he's actually done into his host, even though I've been watching him for years, I shouldn't be surprised anymore. And to see him with Ron Paul, and I only saw some sections of it, um, my my take was that he was really impressed with him as a candidate. And, you know, the cheering in the audience, obviously, I mean, mm-hmm. he's got he's got great clout. But um, I think his appearance on Jon Stewart did nothing but but help him and really yeah. con- convince people to take another look at him. So at this point, Ron Paul's, um, you know, in the top three as far as fundraising goes. Um, he's in, the, you know, one of of two essentially that can beat Barack Obama, according to the the polls. Now, I'm of the opinion that Barack Obama is going to have a really difficult time uh, pulling off the general election because, you know, economies the economy's in the in, in the tank, and it's not going to come out in the next twelve months or so. So. That's going to be very difficult. It that's seems to the, me. Yeah, I was going to say that, that's where those electronic voting machines come in handy. Right, and you were uh, you're mentioning the Diebold machines here, and I think that that's something that's important to bring out. Um, the you know the, the the great thing about the Ron Paul campaign is is that it's lighting the fires of brush fires of liberty across the nation. I wonder about even if he did manage to uh, if, even if he was the big candidate right now. Would he win with these Diebold machines? Now, in New Hampshire, we have paper voting. It's much harder to cheat, so you'll know something is up early on. But Mitt Romney's going to do really well in New Hampshire. He will, but last last time around, I found it very suspicious that he was polling about 17 or 18 percent two days before the primary. He ended up with, what, 8 or 9 percent? Ron Paul? Yeah. 
Yeah, and then there was the recount issue, which there was a technicality where they didn't do the recount, I think because part of the payment for the recount came off of PayPal. Do you remember the details on that? It, oh. was, it was really fishy, though. But, but they All never- I know is they had video of um, the, pe- the election supervisors breaking the law, the election law, and no one did anything about it. Mm-hmm. And this is what you know, really I find disgusting is that these, the box, their laws mean nothing to them. And the boxes of votes had been uh, – they were sealed with, with tape that could just peel right off without yeah. – it was, it was really crazy. So they should they have video of all this stuff. You yeah. can go back and look. Believe me, the establishment is scared to death of Ron Paul, especially this time around because he's got more support than ever. He's been building support over the last four years. And and I think they're gonna do whatever they can to prevent him from getting the nomination. If not and if they he gets that, it's gonna be really interesting to watch the presidential election. Now, there is a, there was a story from Uptime, which is on ArsTechnica.com. Uh, Diebold voting machines vulnerable to remote tampering via man-in-the-middle attack. So these machines are vulnerable to tampering from remotely. I mean, yes. you don't even have to be on site to tamper. Correct. Researchers at the Department of Energy's Argonne National Laboratory have demonstrated an electronic man-in-the-middle attack that allows remote tampering with the Diebold AccuVote voting system. Argonne's vulnerability assessment team has previously exposed the same vulnerability in the Sequoia AVC machines in 2009 and believe the attack could be used against a wide range of voting machines. That's crazy. I mean, you know, these, they, they make these machines. The government can't even get machines that are tamper-proof. You, I mean, why is that? I mean, well, no machine is tamper-proof. That's why. Well, you'd think that they could at least make something that's not, um, you know, that that wouldn't go on the internet or something. That it would be. <laughs> I mean, would would you really want to hook this into something? I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. I, yeah, paper ballots are the way that people are going to feel comfortable. These voting machines, it seems to me, just open the door for fraud. 855-450-FREE. SACL toll-free call in line on Free Talk Live. Are you looking for camping, hunting, or shooting gear? ManVentureOutpost.com carries knives, ammunition, scopes, binoculars, laser sights, fish finders, and boating equipment from manufacturers like Aimpoint, Bushnell, Otterbox, Crimson Trace, K-Bar, Remington, Streamlight, Winchester, and more. ManVentureOutpost.com. Family owned and members of the Better Business Bureau. Prices so low, some can't be advertised. Get an additional 5% off with coupon code FTL. Get it quick. Get it from ManVentureOutpost.com. Eight fifty five four fifty free. That's the SACL toll free call in line here on Free Talk Live. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. Do you want to become electrically independent? Then you need a power system that will take power from the sun, the water, the wind, gas generators, DC welders, bicycle generators, whatever. You also need to start small and grow your system. The SG-1 by Sound Wisdom is the only system that will enable you to do all those things. See it at freetalklivesolar.com. We've teamed up with them uh, to uh, bring you really the best system for uh, a solar power backup system that you can find. Even on uh, Sunday nights, experts are standing by to give you free education and answer all your questions. It's freetalklivesolar.com. You can find the telephone number there. I recommend this system highly. 
And let's go to Daniel. Oh, I should introduce everybody. This is Mark. Nemi. And Wayne. We are your Free Talk Live hosts for this evening. Danielle in Seattle. Daniel? Hi. Hi. Good evening, Mark, Nemi, and Wayne. Thanks, Hello. Daniel. Good evening. What's on your mind? Uh, well, you guys were talking about those Diebold machines before the break there. Yeah. And it's pretty pretty clear. It, anyone who wants to do just a few minutes of research will find that they're completely insecure. It's just a complete <laughs> scam. Right. I have I have I have never seen the story that says Diebold machines uh, resist cracking. Yeah. I've never seen it. Never will probably. What? The- <laughs> but what I wanted to call about that was just an off, you know, an aside. Is uh, caller Nick has been calling in the last few nights talking yep. about scent. Yes. And how his dad claimed that uh, when you live in a place that you consent to the rules of that place, and that's kind of been the topic. Yeah. Of the last few nights when he calls, and I just want to give a little illustration to show how silly of an idea that is. Okay. Uh, imagine if you're in a building with no exits and only two rooms, and in one of the rooms with you, there's a man who owns that room, who, who's paid for it and owns it, and he says, the rule here is whoever's in this room, uh, I get to beat up brutally with a baseball bat. But if you don't like that, you can go into the other room. But if you go in the other room, there's a man there who says, I own this room, and I paid for it. It's my room. And the rule is whoever comes in this room with me, <clears throat> uh, I get to savagely rape. Right. So, like that, you can go in the other room. And this is essentially the choice that one's left with. What you're speaking is right. is that um, it, governments are institutions of violence. I mean, that's what they claim for themselves: the monopoly privilege and the use of force and violence in a given geographic area. They can certainly delegate that to different organizations, and they do at times. But they right. have and the. There's, there's no area where there's no government. If you look on a map, there's no big landmass that says, you know, for rent or available now. Right. There's no place to go. There used to be at some points, um, you know, sort of uh, frontiers where I suppose you could go kill other people to uh, to be free. Um, There are places where you'll get less and more intrusion by the government um, uh, around. And there's different governments that are sort of better and worse. In the United States, I would say, is in the top 10, and everybody would say they're in the top 15, um, I would say, around the world as far as freedom goes. But they can't claim to be number one. They're not even number one on any of the lists as far as freest nations in the world rated by whatever the criteria is that they rate. I haven't seen one where the United States is the freest. It is probably the best place at this point to make a buck um, for a lot of people. But I think if I were a young man, you know, I might even consider Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's some arguments to be had for that. (laughs) Um, And and even if you try to go somewhere like, let's say, the middle of the ocean or Antarctica – once the government finds out you're out there, they're going to come after you anyways, even you know, even though it's not their land necessarily. What do you think they'll, they'd come after you there for? Well, let's say you took a cruise to Antarctica and jumped off the ship or whatever, and, or on one of the days you just ran out and you, know, you made a cabin out somewhere. Yeah. Once, once the cruise called the search and rescue people, then they would bring government agents looking for you, and they would find you, and they would bring you back and probably charge you with something as well. Well, you probably could – I, I would think that you could go to Tierra del Fuego and get some kind of boat that will take you out to uh, Antarctica if you desperately want to go there. Yeah. Um, you, you're going to have one heck of a time. The difficulty is what do you build the house with? Um, and, right. and living then, in Antarctica so is very difficult. But, I mean, you know, I, I don't think the government's really going to stop you from uh, buying a big boat and living out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean if that's what you wanted to do. Well, if you're 
if they find out you're smoking weed or something. I don't think so. There's probably a good chance. They're going to want to tax you. Or not, sure. or not paying tax on the boat, exactly. That's now, I, I might agree with you if you said that you were going to set up your own banking system and um, our internet servers so that you could make it like an internet bank that they couldn't have some kind of control. <laughs> At that point, yeah. I might believe that they would come after you. But if you want to um, smoke pot and uh, bring out some uh, you know hookers or whatever it is that uh, you want to do in your lascivious lifestyle, I don't think they're going to bother you that much. Um, that's not their big concern. They certainly let the, the gambling boats go out there and do their yeah, thing. That's true. And as I understand it, there are some hedonist uh, uh, you know, resorts and cruises uh, that, that occur, and God knows what goes on in them. But definitely yeah. don't go out there and grow a lemon tree. <laughs> don't, don't grow a lemon tree, though, Daniel. <laughs> okay, I won't. Okay, thank you. Thanks for the call. 855-450-FREE. You know, I, 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 oftentimes there's, there's this uh, conspiracy theory out there that says that every war that's been fought in the last hundred years was essentially fought because nations wouldn't get in line on the centralized banking system. And I look at that thing and read as much as I possibly can about it because it's very interesting to me that, huh, isn't it strange that the nations that don't want to get on board with the sort of international banking system as it exists are the ones that get invaded? Well, like Libya, for example, uh, Gaddafi for the last few years has been trying to get the whole all the Middle Eastern nations to go on a gold dinar type system. Yeah. And he was really pushing pretty hard for that. And I know that there, there, he made some enemies from that alone, not to mention other things he was doing to buck the West. But, you know, he's been kind of a puppet dictator for some time. But a lot of times these puppets get a little uppity after a while, like um, Noriega, like Saddam Hussein. This seemed, seems to me to be just another one of those situations. Uh, but I do think that one can probably find more freedom by uh, – you know, uh, fr- frankly, that's what I've said all along on Free Talk Live is if you want liberty in your lifetime, you can move to the Free State Project and work for liberty in your lifetime amongst other people and you'll bring liberty to other people and, and that kind of thing. If you want it tomorrow, get a sailboat and you know, mm-hmm. go out of the ocean. You'll be free. As I understand it, there are ways to uh, you know hook up to the internet and get – television and all the things that uh, one has in 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 real life i mean you can you can have it if you want it's a it's going to be a completely different lifestyle than what you're you're used to but you know it's it's available to you so let's go on on the uh, ron paul uh, subject here wayne do you have uh, you had a, you had a little more is that right let's see i think i did well it was actually it was just the second story i had about ron paul aside from getting into the voting machine issue was that uh, when they did a poll, they found out that only he and Mitt Romney polled higher than Obama at this time. Yeah. And and Rick Perry, trying to be kind of a counterfeit Ron Paul type, uh, did not score very well in this latest poll. And probably his, his performance in the debates has been very dismal as well. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little relieved about that. I wonder how Bachman's going to do in the Iowa caucus. I mean, she's a she's an Iowa girl, and I expect her to do a better showing. But I wonder if she'll actually come in first place. I mean, I'm not quite ready to to make that prediction. I am willing to make the prediction that uh, Mitt Romney will come in first place in New Hampshire. Oh. Because, well, I mean, it's not Sorry. pleasant, but <laughs> New Hampshire, to, you know, the the sort of the, the New Hampshireites consider themselves to be sort of, uh, you know, a Massachusetts satellite state. They well, love the Red Sox. Only, only in parts, and I, I think that, um, in my experience, more, more New Hampshire residents actually love to hate Massachusetts, and, and 
politics aside, would may actually go so far as to not vote for Mitt Romney. Because- Maybe, but I'll I'll tell you, he's he's polling rather well in New Hampshire. And if he wins in New Hampshire, though, I don't think it'll be any big thing for him. It won't catapult his campaign because people will just say, ah, he was going to win that anyway. Right. In the same way that uh, Bachman doing well in Iowa won't particularly be anything huge for her. But they both have had a history of kind of buying supporters and straw polls. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and Ron Paul is probably going to get a certain amount of uh, blue Democrats or blue Republicans, Democrats that move over to vote for him. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. I've started playing a new online game. It's called Mine Things. It's a free online mining game. It's all in your browser. There's nothing to download. Your little mining robot guy can mine for you 24-7. You don't even need to be logged in. You compete with other players for resources in a capitalist economy. The virtually mined gold demonstrates the concept of sound money and is exchanged between players tax-free. They even accept bitcoins. Go to MineThings.com, use coupon code FTL, and double your mining speed. It's free. MineThings.com. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line, 855-450-3733. Go check out freetalklive.com. We have, uh, well, we have ways for you to find out all the news, the things that are going on on Free Talk Live. When Ian gets out, you'll be the first to know if you, uh, well... If you go to news.freetalklive.com and sign up for the email updates there, we also have Twitter and Facebook, whatever makes you happy. It's news.freetalklive.com. I just mentioned, Ian, we are on day 50-5-0 of the Ian Freeman incarceration countup. Our main host in jail for standing in front of a police car a year ago because he felt that they were taking a young woman to jail unjustly. It's Mark with you. Nami. And Wayne. Let's go to the phones. Derek in Oklahoma. Derek. Hey guys, I was just, uh, my son has his two months vaccination tomorrow. Yes. And I was wondering if you guys, I really don't think I want to do it. I was wondering if Jack ever got his vaccination. My son Jack has uh, never been vaccinated. Um, we, you know, the, the, the opinion that I have on the subject is, is I, I don't feel that they can possibly know all the things that vaccines do. And I know that some people have reactions to vaccines. I have had reactions to the uh, flu vaccine. I don't know everything about vaccines. And so therefore, what I've decided to do is err on the side of discretion. The one thing when you have what a two month old is if they're, you know, if, if the vaccines, for instance, you know, cause some kind of brain damage or something like that, you'll never know. You'll never know because you would have nothing to compare it to. Um, whereas if, for, for instance, you know, for all the good it'll do you, if a, if a vaccine harms an adult, you'll know, you'll much have a better, much better idea, well, it was the vaccine that did that. Yeah. When my daughter was, was about that age, our pediatrician was, was harping on us to get this certain vaccine. I think it may have been a hepatitis vaccine. How's, it, how's a two-month-old or three-month-old going to have to ca- uh, contract hepatitis anyway when it's sexually uh, transmitted? So I fought him on it. I, I mean, he, he threatened to basically drop us as a patient, but I, I wasn't concerned about that. And do you know a week later, it came out that they stopped giving that vaccine to children under six months old. And when I went back the next time, you know, he, he mentioned it. And I said, well, you know, th- 
couple of weeks ago, you, you would have said this was safe. And now it's come out that, that uh, they're not vaccinating children under six months with this anymore because it's, it's had a lot of reactions. So be careful. And if you choose to do it, in, in my situation, I've always tried to read the, uh, the insert to see what's in it because different batches have different uh, adjuvants in it. And maybe that batch doesn't and some do. So it's very hit or miss, and you got to be careful. But uh, what are you, cons- my opinion? What are you concerned about, uh, Derek? Just sort of looming vaccines are bad thing. Yeah, I've just been reading. There's more. You know, the possibility of adverse effects is pretty much greater than the benefits. I wonder about that. I mean, you know, that th- this is really where it came down for me on my side. Is you know, I think about polio, for instance. Polio pretty much eradicated from the planet. Not entirely. There are places where you can go find yourself polio. In laboratories, you you, can. Well, like, you know, maybe some very, very remote places uh, where they don't have a heck of a lot of running water and things like that. But here in the United States, you're probably not going to get polio, whether, and and so you have a much higher chance of having an adverse reaction to the polio vaccine than you do of actually contracting polio if you don't get the vaccine so one has to wonder why now there have been some uh, uh, you know claims of uh, outbreaks of measles and that kind of things and mumps and and stuff like that but these are childhood diseases that most children lived through in the uh, in the past anyway and they get them and then you're immune for life and most of the times, the people that are contracting them have already gotten the vaccine. So you wonder, what, what's the purpose of these things? I'm not saying that the vaccine companies are out there to get you for the 1250 or whatever it is for the measles, mump, and rubella uh, vaccine. I don't know what it is, but well, it's, it's not that much. It's very profitable. But when we were kids, it was probably maybe four to eight vaccines you had to get. They said you had to get to go to school. Now it's over 40 in many places. And also the vaccine companies don't have any liability um, for what they do. I mean, they, you know, they, if for whatever reason that vaccine kills your kid, you, can, you have no recourse against the vaccine company. There is a fund. There is a government fund to, okay. that you can, you can claim and, and get some money. I'm sure but, you won't get much. You, you, it, it, what amount of money can, can bring your child back to normal? Of course, what what amount of money could uh, you know would make you happy if your kid died of one of these other diseases? And that that's what makes it tough. And this is really and truly one of those situations where there's so much information out there, Derek, that nobody can really know what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. You can research yeah. in whichever direction you want. I mean, essentially, you you know, if you come up with a hypothesis. Then you can dig down into that direction. You'll find all kinds of information to back up whichever way it is that you want to go. And essentially, at some point or another, you have to make the decision yourself. And the decision we made, my wife and I, was that um, you know that the the Hippocratic oath is to to first do no harm. So first, I'm not going to do any harm, and that's why we decided not to to vaccinate Jack. Me too. I agree with that, Mark, because if you look around you and, and they say something is safe, but then you see all these uh, these situations among people you know. I have a very good friend I grew up with whose daughter became severely autistic immediately after having the MMR vaccine, for example. And I remember I was with the girl. I saw her a week before and she was perfectly normal. She looked me right in the eyes. She spoke. And then after this thing, she was completely different. Hmm. And that was the only change. And parents say that, and then and then you hear people say that the pundits will say, "Oh no, that was it's all in your head." These anecdotal stories are scary as heck, though. I had yeah. a friend who um, who told me, I think it was his father, it might have been his grandfather. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the story, but that he took the vaccine and the at, um, you know went to work healthy, took his lunch to work, uh, took a vaccine while he was at work, came home at noon sick, and was dead by eight p.m. I mean, you know, I mean, it could be 
that he died of spinal meningitis or something like that. But it could just as easily be that the, the vaccine killed him. And I don't think that the medical community is is really eager to find out that these vaccines um, you know, might have more adverse reactions than they know. Well, the medical community is a lot of very well-meaning people, but they also don't realize they're being indoctrinated by a cartel. And, and so you hear them repeating things they've learned in school when they haven't always investigated the alternative uh, viewpoint. Derek? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm just, I'd rather not gamble anything with my child, and especially when it, you're relying on the state giving you your odds, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it's definitely your decision either way, whatever you do. And some children, a lot of children are vaccinated and they seem they seem to be fine. But uh, I mean, I had all mine, but yeah, same here. A, bunch, a lot of yeah. people never had theirs. So. Interestingly, I vaccinate all my pets, though, because, you know, mm-hmm. if the dog dies or the cat dies, I don't feel bad about that. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to live through that. And if the cat, you know, the cats are going to want to go outside, they're going to want to live a full life or whatever. So I let the, you know, I get the feline whatever uh, vaccine for them. But for the kid, I'm just so absolutely petrified and doing the wrong thing. That's the decision that I made. I, I encourage you to research this and come up with the, uh, the best decision for you. But, you know, that's it's a decision that you have to make. One thing that bothers me is is the manufacturing process doesn't always lend itself with vaccines to be uh, consistent and pure. So some some batches will be contaminated and some won't be because they're growing pus, you know, and using animal pus and different strange things in these things. And and so what they find out when when people have reactions is that they're uh, the lawyers that, that go after these companies and try to get settlements say there's usually hot lots they call them where there'll be one lot or a couple lots that that actually cause a lot of injuries and then other lots that don't. So you, but you're not going to know if, if you have a bad lot or a contaminated lot until after. So again, you know, and the other thing is they they tend to um, conf- they kind of mix up terminology. They'll say, well, I've been immunized. Uh, by being vaccinated. And that's not necessarily true. You could be immunized, but you can Im- immunize yourself also by getting measles or mumps, for example, and then you're immunized for life. Whereas when you get a vaccine, many times you have to get a booster shot uh, a few months or years later. Yeah, it makes you wonder how, uh, you know, how, how successful the booster shots are. Derek, thanks for the call. When I, um, I, I took the, vac- the flu vaccine and got very, very ill. Now, I'm assured that there's no way that you can get the flu from the flu vaccine, but mm-hmm. the illness that I got was exactly like the flu. My temperature was 102.7. And when you're an adult, that's a dangerous thing to have happening. I sure. mean, you're, you're talking about cooking your brain um, pretty close to that level and you know the next year the 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 doctor's like there's no way that could have happened you're just you know whatever he gave me some kind of explanation you know that you caught some other flu or something it didn't it didn't immunize you for the right flu you just caught a different one blah 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 i took it again and within three days i became the you know not as sick as i was the first time but just about as sick as i was i've heard that from other people previously and you know as i've looked at this and um looked at this is uh, the claim is is that i'm what i'm having is an allergic reaction that is so similar to the flu but i went for years thinking that the flu vaccine gave me the flu and you can imagine when the medical community in fact that you know most of them will do things like this guy did and say it just can't happen you're crazy Mm-hmm. And when you get that kind of feedback, you have a tendency to just discount everything these people say. Yeah, exactly. 855-453. It's a SACL toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live. Are we giving bad advice to people? Are vaccines great? Please call in. Let us know. 
I've started playing a new online game. It's called Mine Things. It's a free online mining game. It's all in your browser. There's nothing to download. Your little mining robot guy can mine for you 24-7. You don't even need to be logged in. You compete with other players for resources in a capitalist economy. The virtually mined gold demonstrates the concept of sound money and is exchanged between players tax-free. They even accept bitcoins. Go to MineThings.com, use coupon code FTL, and double your mining speed. It's free. MineThings.com. And now it's time for the Living Beyond Your Feelings Radio Minute with tips and advice on controlling your emotions so they don't control you. Here's New York Times bestselling author Joyce Meyer. I think hope is one of the most powerful, most beautiful, most awesome things in the world. I believe that we need to always keep hoping no matter what our circumstances look like. I believe if we continue to hope that we're always going to see a victory of some kind in our life. Once you learn to practice the power of hope, it's a hard habit to break. You know, at one time in my life, I was always negative. That's been many years ago, and I've learned to be almost always positive. I wish I could say all the time, but I am still working on it. You know, I can't always control the wind, but I can learn to adjust my sails, and so can you. Choosing right thoughts and words will help you control how you feel. For the Living Beyond Your Feelings Radio Minute, I'm Joyce Meyer. For more information to help you control your own emotions so they don't control you, please visit Joyce Meyer. That's M-E-Y-E-R dot org. The average person has 70,000 thoughts every day, and many of those thoughts trigger a corresponding emotion. In Living Beyond Your Feelings, Joyce Meyer examines the gamut of feelings that human beings experience. She discusses the way that the brain processes and stores memories and thoughts. Then, emotion by emotion, she explains how we can manage our reactions to those emotions. Living Beyond Your Feelings, the newest book from New York Times bestselling author Joyce Meyer, is available wherever books are sold. Eight fifty five four fifty three. That's the SACL toll free call in line. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. It's free talk live. It's totally interactive, just like the website freetalklive dot com. Nimi, we you have brought in a story about uh, seatbelts and being a New Hampshireite, a granite stater. Uh, this is a a subject close to my heart. So apparently, there's. What? More um, more people are wearing seatbelts in New Hampshire where it's not against the law uh, to drive without them? Than, well, this I pulled from the union leader, and it says New Hampshire seatbelt use is at uh, all-time high. And, and like you, Mark, I, I'm a granite stater, and this is an issue that's close to my heart because every year the feds try to come in and give us a million dollars to uh, become the 50th state to um, make uh, seatbelts mandatory, and we are the only state left that does not have mandatory use for adults. And uh, the article here says, um, New Hampshire seatbelt use increased to a record high in 2011, according to the State Highway Safety Agency. Survey of 20,000 vehicles found that seatbelts were used by three out of four occupants this year. The 75% usage rate compares with 72% last year. When the first annual survey was taken in 1984, seatbelt use was at 16%. Now, this compares to our lovely um, neighbor to the south, where in 2008 they had a compliance rate with a secondary law 
um, meaning that you could be ticketed. Many states, yeah. Pulled over for something else, you could get an additional ticket for not wearing your seatbelt. Right. A secondary state means you can't be pulled over for not having your seatbelt on, supposedly. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But if you are pulled over and you don't have your seatbelt on, they can can, uh, give you a a little bonus ticket to go with your uh, first ticket. Right, exactly. And and with this secondary law, um, in 2008, Massachusetts compliance rate was at roughly 68%. So what's the difference here? How much? Uh, between Massachusetts and New Hampshire? Uh, Massachusetts has a law, 68% in 2008. And okay. New Hampshire does not have an adult law and 75%. And this year? This year. Okay, so compared to Massachusetts in 2008, they don't Correct. have uh, apparently um, corresponding... Uh, no, no corresponding numbers that I could find. It's This is interesting. They The numbers that they used here were occupants, not drivers. Correct. Because I the best argument I've heard so far for seatbelts is that you um, have a obligation to other drivers to keep them as safe as you can by keeping yourself behind the wheel and a seatbelt will continue to do that. So if you're flying through the windshield and over your hood that you are a less safe driver, and I would agree with this, that you're a less safe driver than you are if you are one that is tied down to your seat and well, you, you can still control your car. Theoretically, right? Yeah. Um, and this is the best argument I've heard for seatbelts up to this point. However, the argument for um, passengers isn't nearly as uh, good as strong. I mean, at that point, you know, maybe you're a projectile, but that you actually have to hit them in order to be a danger to them. Well, there's a lovely statistic right here in the article, actually. New Hampshire TSA says research has found that seatbelt use can reduce the risk of fatal injury to front seat passenger car occupants by 45 percent and cut the risk of serious injury in half and you know these are these are numbers that they use and obviously the state uh the state tends to you know i don't trust their numbers entirely on these things um you know i mean you hear a lot of these anecdotal stories of people who say things like well you know my my grandfather was killed by a seatbelt and and you know these these stories that people will give um about you know what happened to them, a loved one or their their family member or something like that. And you can imagine if your mother or father was killed in an accident and was held in place, burned to death and held in place by a seatbelt, mm-hmm. how you would feel about seatbelts and the, the law requiring you to wear them. It's happened in crashes with seatbelts and without. And I'd much prefer to have a, a seatbelt on. Yep. I wear much, mine. I yeah, mean, I, I, I do. I feel naked without it. Didn't you, uh, Nimi, have a, a story about uh, being in an automobile accident with a seatbelt? Um, I was in an accident when I was 15 and the seatbelt came undone. I was not injured. Neither was my passenger. But the seatbelt came undone. Yes. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, the old seatbelts just came around your hips and didn't have the shoulder strap. And, and that's that just, was that's just when you were a kid, Wayne. Yeah, when, <laughs> in the old days when I was a kid. And, and that was maybe a little safer than not having anything at all, but it was also dangerous in the sense because your, your torso could go forward still. Yeah. So when they incorporated the shoulder strap into it, it became a lot safer in, in most situations because everybody can cite a situation where being, having a seatbelt ends up being more dangerous or fatal. I don't know when they switched to the the lap and shoulder belt um, combination thing, but to me, a seatbelt was just a novelty when I was a kid. I mean, you know, you'd put it on just for kicks. Hey, you know, let's pull the seatbelt out of the crack in the seat and pull that out and put that on. That'll be fun. You know, on my mom's 71 Cutlass in uh, metallic rust with the <laughs> with the cabriolet top. Yeah, I mean, you I know. Those. Now, do you, I'll ask you guys, do you wear your seatbelts now? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I wear my seatbelt oh, yeah. uh, just about every time. I do as well. So I guess I'm part of the 75%. And, and, and Nemi, you know, what's really interesting is that the fact that in New Hampshire, you had mentioned earlier that we have a higher percentage of compliance, even though we're not legally required to do it here. Absolutely. And I think I think the biggest objection that I have to this is that every year the feds come in and say, for less than a dollar, we want the ability to ticket you. And the stunning hubris of the statists says they continue on their march towards larger government. I mean, here in New Hampshire, the compliance, it may have taken a little while to get there, but compliance is higher than it is in some states where they're, um, you know, they're, they're using the state in order to get what they want. And I think they're using some faulty numbers here in, in order to drive down the percentage rather than driving up because, um, you know, that they're, they're actually saying this is passengers, not drivers and not just passengers but what occupants occupants, occupants as opposed yeah. to uh just drivers and i don't think that a uh i don't i don't think an you there's much of an argument that can be made from a standpoint of freedom about an occupant wearing a seatbelt it just doesn't make much sense to me now additionally um massachusetts is trying to pass um a primary law so police would be able to pull over a person just for not wearing their seatbelt. sure the more dead. tickets it's revenue yeah natalie's bill this year it's all in the name of safety though mark yeah i went as a uh, fire uh fire person uh, going to the state house and told them that uh, look you know i i if you pass this law, I'm going to stop wearing my seatbelt um, as civil disobedience. And uh, you know what? They didn't care at all. Let's go to Vince in Indianapolis. <laughs> it's just about the revenue for them. Vince? Hi. How are you fine people doing today, Mark? All's well. What's on your mind? And I can't remember the lady that was talking there. But, uh, this is Nimi. I wanted to say something here. Um, you know, school corporations don't have uh, seatbelts in the school buses. It it is a strange thing that school buses manage to tootle all around without kids in uh, seatbelts, and it makes one wonder. Well, if these th- darn things are so gosh darn safe, why don't they put them in school buses? Because the little bastards would be choking each other with them. <laughs> well, well, there's that. But Vince, it, that's a very good point. And every year, like I, I said, this comes up before the legislature every every blessed year. And that point is brought up, and and school buses um, and school bus manufacturers have come forth and said that kids are actually safer without them in school buses. Now, whether that's because they're not wrapping them around each other's necks while they're going down the highway, I don't really know. But they're padded. The seats, the back of the seats are they're padded. Very, now. very high, high backs. When I was a boy, they weren't padded in the back, and when the, yeah, when it, was the <laughs> it was metal, it was metal with a nice bar right there where your forehead would hit. Exactly. <laughs> Bluebird right and across some, your forehead. And somehow we lived. Exactly. How did that happen? <laughs> this is, this is the, the stunning thing that kids really don't get is, you know, I was climbing all over the, the bench seats in my mom's car, the, you know, the, the Buick Century that she had that she got after the Cutlass. Uh, you know, this was a station wagon. I'd cry, crawl from the back to the front. Sometimes I'd sit in the front seat. Sometimes I'd sit in the back seat. Whatever I felt like doing, that's what I did. There weren't any child seats when I was growing up. Nobody, we didn't use them. Vince? No, I never did. I crawl over. I, I don't even wear seatbelts because I ride a motorcycle or ride a bicycle. <laughs> now, now, Vince, I have a question for you that's somewhat related. Do you wear a helmet when you ride your bike? Oh, yes, I do. Is it mandatory there in Indiana? No, no, no. There's no hell of a law in Indiana. I've actually heard of a politician, and this is um, th- this is just something I've heard. I've heard of a politician r- wanting to require seatbelts on motorcycles. 
I mean, you know, these these people, they don't care about what the truth is on what's safe and what's not. They just care about the appearance of being a good legislator. That had to be on the onion. <laughs> I, Vince, thanks for the call. 855-450-FREE. Sickle toll-free call in line. 855-450-3733. Free Talk Live. As a smoker, you know traditional cigarettes are unhealthy, and the taxes be the very beast stealing your freedom to smoke. That's why the Vapor Station offers an assortment of electronic cigarette kits. Each rechargeable, refillable kit is an effective, affordable alternative to smoking. No combustion, no tar, no foul, lingering odors, and no smoke, secondhand or otherwise. Just inhale pure enjoyment and exhale vapor. Take a puff just about anywhere without getting hassled. Get your e-cigarette kit now at VaporStation.com. Eight five five four five zero three seven three three. Free Talk Lives, live Wednesday edition. It's Mark, Nemi, and Wayne. If you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of accounts receivable, SACL CAI can do it for you. The uh, principal over there, Jason Osborne, is a big supporter of Liberty and a big supporter of Free Talk Live. So if you have a company, trust him and SACL CAI to take care of your business. Their uh, banner is the top one on the right-hand side of the page at freetalklive.com. Let's go to Joshua in Oklahoma. Joshua? Hi, guys. Great show tonight. Thank you. Um, two small things. Uh, I became a seatbelt wearer back before it was mandated by law. After sitting through a driver training program uh, in college, I was going to deliver pizza. And the state trooper that taught it said, if nothing I said tonight means anything. Just remember this. In 23 years as a state trooper, I never unbuckled a dead man from a car. Oh my goodness! So uh, was this was this back when uh, seatbelts were just lap belts? Uh, no, there was there were lap and shoulder. Okay, I'm not that old. Okay, and, I'm uh, checking. And his, yeah, his his main point on safety was, he said historically, if we can keep the passenger in the vehicle, they got a chance to survive. If they come out. It, it's over. Yeah, yeah. Going out of the vehicle, there's a chance you'll survive, but it's not good. Now, Kevin, let me not, a, let me ask you this. Sexually, Joshua. Oh, excuse me. Beg, beg your pardon, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Um, you say you wore your seatbelt before the law was passed. Yeah, yeah. After that training, I said, "Well, you know, if I can train myself to wear the seatbelt, if I can make it a habit, you know, safety matters. I'll, I'll do that." Now, what is the, I was able to do it. What is the law where you live? Well, right now it's mandatory. This was a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, some states have primary, some states have secondary. But, uh, you know, frankly, yeah. if, if you're even if it's secondary, I wouldn't trust them not to pull me over for, oh, I thought your headlight was out. But while I have you here, it looks like your seatbelt's not on. Right. And, and how do you yeah. prove it? I mean, I don't know what the black box in my car records, but it doesn't even record that. I don't do, know. do I have a defense no, but, against it unless but, I have a witness? Uh, you do if you have the GPS black box dash cam at freedomcam.net, which I do, which <laughs> has a uh, is going to audio and video record the entire interaction with the police officers so they can't change their story. Oh, is that is that how you believe it happened, officer? Well, let me show you the video. <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't turn That's over my video cam to you. No, yo, I keep one of my own. Don't worry. <laughs> and and just and because you're a public servant standing on public property doing the public's will, you have no expectation. 
expectation of privacy. So nothing's there's no problem here. And so I always, uh, you know, because I've got this uh, freedom, the, the freedom cam, freedomcam.net, I, I'm comfortable in uh, dealing with these situations. So what was the other thing, Joshua? Well, the other thing was the politician who wanted to put seatbelts on motorcycles. Yes. <laughs> I can state from experience similar to that, but not exactly the same, that strapping 400 pounds of hot steel and gasoline between your legs is a bad idea. Yeah, it's a bad idea. As I understand it, thanks for the call, by the way, Joshua. Appreciate it. (laughs) Bye-bye. As I understand it, Honda is actually working on something that would be some kind of better version of this, and I would trust a manufacturer to come up with something better. I'm sure that it won't be uh, mandated right away. Now, this story, I'd like to qualify this story that I have told here. I heard my dad, who was a uh, a member of the sheriff's department um, in my town, talking to a another friend, talking about some legislator who was silly. And so I kind of, tr- you know, sometimes people will just tell anecdotal stories. So maybe he heard it from some other, um, you know, sheriff or something like that, and he was relaying the story. So I don't know. I've looked online and I've sort of found other stories of politicians doing this, but I haven't found this. You know, in 1979, Laura Perkins, uh, legislator in Georgia, proposed da da da. Like I haven't found that story, and I did look. So this may be a, a meme that traveled around and urban legend that trampled around at some point or another, but I just find it difficult to imagine some politician somewhere didn't think that this was a bright idea. Let's go to Kevin in Indianapolis. There we go. There is, there's Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Nimmy's waiting on you, Kevin. Kevin, are you there? Okay. Um, I'm here. Uh, I'm just waiting for my intro there to get in, get a word in. Um, no, the, the gentleman that called earlier about the buses, uh, it is mandated in Indiana now that the buses have seatbelts. Whether or not the municipalities are enforcing it and actually going back and retrofitting is another story. I'm not sure. But the, the main thing I wanted to point out about everything anyway is we're paying for these buses that are just so ungodly costly. And I had a situation where we had one student that went 40 miles. He was an athlete. Now, it's bad enough that we're paying $10 million for a football stadium that's used a few days out of the year. But they're paying for this individual to ride a bus, a huge bus by himself, because he's an athlete. And I really believe that there's so much cost. They need smaller buses to begin with. And, uh, you know, parents need to think about getting their own kids to school, and especially sports. If your kid's playing sports, that should be on your dime, not on my dime. And that's the main thing about buses. And then majority of the buses in the state of Indiana, if you really inspect them, they're unsafe to be on the road. Really? So let's not worry about the seatbelt. Why don't we just make sure that the bus itself is safe and they're not? Well, what's unsafe about them? Generally, everything. The understructure, the tires. The tires is the main thing. The tires wear out. That's one of the biggest expenses. Then on top of that, here's another thing that's going on with these buses in Indianapolis. Uh, some of the drivers are finding that they can go back to the schoolyard, take the buses. And rent them out to people at night for five or six hundred bucks, and they drive them around and party with them. It, it, it's just unbelievable. We don't need them. We that really is unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah, and that happened. And I saw my with my own eyes. I go get the bus, go over to the bar across the street, put keggers on it, and of course they were they were masking, they were taking duct tape and putting it on so you couldn't see the numbers, and then they drove off and party with it all night. The um, when I was a kid, I went to a private school from kindergarten through eighth grade, and. 
you know, the the bus would sometimes come out to where I lived way out in the country and sometimes it would come out there and sometimes it wouldn't. And essentially they would, you know, they'd send it out if it made financial sense, if the uh, parents wanted to pay for it. And every parent would have to pay some portion of the ride on the bus. So if there were seven kids out that way, then, you know, you'd pay one seventh of whatever it costs to send the bus out there. And that's what people would pay. If somebody dropped off, then it's up to six. Do you want to continue to pay? Um, if uh, everybody's at six says, OK, we'll do it. That's fine. But if somebody drops off, then it's five. And then everybody's like, yeah, it's not worth it to us anymore. Then, the you know, three more of them drop off because it's not worth it to them. Then two of them are like, well, this is just too expensive. And the bus doesn't run anymore. So, I mean, you you know, they had they had a system for sending buses or parents would get kids to school. You know, as far as I'm concerned, that's that is a responsibility of a parent. And, you know, now with a, essentially schooling has become a right, um, which by a right, that means it's an obligation of everybody else to provide it for you. If uh, this is what they call a positive right um, it, and it creates some kind of obligation. I don't think that I've got any obligation on it to support any other person on the planet. I'm happy to do so. I donate lots of money to lots of organizations. I just consider I consider, frankly, school to be a very, um, you know, public schools to be a very inefficient use of money. Well, you know what the graduation rate in Indianapolis is? What is it? 35%. My God. Wow. 35%? We're a big success story, aren't we? Yeah, and I mean this is this is what mandatory schooling gets you. Um, you know, this is this is what you're paying for, Boredom. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, your taxpayer dollars at work. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for the call. Eight fifty five, four fifty free. I mean, that's stunning to me. You could have to be able to do better than that with uh, you know having private school options. Bitcoins. You can buy them and you can sell them. They're a great little commodity. You can accept them for your own products and services. But what do you do once you have them? Why you spend them, of course. SpendBitcoins.com allows you to spend them all in one place. From SpendBitcoins.com, you can spend your Bitcoins at major online retailers such as Amazon, Fishpond, Barnes & Noble, Memory Dealers, and more. When you want to spend Bitcoins, go to SpendBitcoins.com. Free Talk Live, 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line. You can call in, talk about whatever you want to talk about. It is Free Talk Live, after all, 855-450-3733. When you do your shopping online, please consider shop.freetalklive.com. You know, whether you're using Amazon or Newegg, a percentage of your purchase, you'll get the same, you'll get the same prices, you'll get the same service, you'll get the same everything that you normally get by going through shop.freetalklive.com. It's just the Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So you'll get everything you want and Free Talk Live gets a little bonus. It's easy. It's shop.freetalklive.com. Now, Wayne, we've got a story here about the uh, Federal Reserve doing a little monitoring, and I hope they're paying attention to this broadcast, because here on Free Talk Live, we advocate the use of gold and silver as a barter currency, uh, getting it as a hedge against inflation or an investment, whatever it is that you wish to uh, have gold and silver for, we advocate getting it. I, as a matter of fact, have quite a bit. And now's probably a pretty good time to uh, to, to pick some up. The, the rates are, are lower than they were uh, last week. And you can get some by going to gold.freetalklive.com. 
And we have lots of pieces and coins there that are picked out so that you can compare uh, and contrast to other sites. Make sure you get the best price. I'm confident that you're getting some of the best prices on the Internet from uh, a dealer. It's gold.freetalklive.com, and you'll be supporting Free Talk Live in the process. Gold.freetalklive.com. About two days ago, there was a story posted on the SH... I, I can't spell it out, but... Uh, let's see, shtfplan.com blog about the Federal Reserve. They seek they seek real-time monitoring of social networks, bloggers, forums, and influencers. It goes like this. If you believe Ben Bernanke and his merry band of money printers don't care about what you think, then consider the last, the latest product development proposal from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. This has been floating around the uh, the Internet for the last couple of days, and I think it's a very disturbing and interesting story. Yes, according to Request for Proposal 6994, the Fed intends to build a real-time monitoring solution capable of mining and aggregating data across social networks like Facebook and Twitter, alternative uh, news websites and blogs, uh, video sharing websites, and mainstream media outlets. Not only do they care about what you think, they want to know exactly who you are, what language you speak, who you're talking to, and where you're getting your information who you were sharing it with, and what your sentiment and emotional state is in reference to that, that at that specific moment. According to portions of the RFP, the Fed intends to collect, aggregate, and analyze data, as well as to us uh, this information to direct their own actions and responses. So the uh, this is you know the the Federal Reserve is putting together some kind of computer program that's going to go out there and scour Facebook and and Twitter for people who are talking about the Fed and that kind of thing. Correct? They want to know what's being said about them. They want to know where you're getting your inf- people are getting their information from. They want to know who those people are who are talking about the Fed. Uh, there was an article about maybe a year or two ago that they were hiring a PR firm because they were getting a lot of bad press about because of Ron Paul and the, the audit the Fed bill and so on. Looks like they're taking it a step further now. Yeah, I mean, a PR firm would be one thing. Maybe this is what the PR firm decided. Uh, now, you know, you would think that the PR firm would find out that people, you know, I mean, with people like Rick Perry running with on an in the Fed platform and Ron Paul running on an in the Fed platform and questions during the presidential de- debate about the Federal Reserve and that kind of thing. You know, if it's one thing to me, if the Federal Reserve wants to know what people are saying about it, it's another thing with what are they going to do with that information? And are they going to have some kind of reprisals? I kind of, you know, after seeing this, uh, this other website that was the was the the president's campaign, where if you see somebody saying something that's incorrect about the president, report it to mm-hmm. our website and tell us where you heard it so we can give them we can set them straight. This is disturbing stuff. They're sending Tony to the front door. Right. <laughs> yeah. These are, uh, I mean, in one case, you have the president of the United States who who, who is a camp, who's campaigning in one hand, but the second, on the other hand, he is the highest member, you know, the highest, uh, you know, the most powerful man in the, in, in the free world, essentially. Um, and then in the other case, you have this quasi-governmental agency, which is the Federal Reserve, that... Is, is extraordinarily powerful. I mean, if you consider it the power that they have inside of organizations like the IMF and the um, and uh, the World Bank and and things like that, you might call the Federal Reserve the most powerful organization on the planet. You might, and the idea that that's you know because I've put 
the Federal Reserve is a bunch of crooks on my Facebook uh, page that that's gonna, that they're going to get alerted to that. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with that information? I mean, this there's a there's a scary aspect to this. It goes in your FBI file, Mark. Right, it probably does. <laughs> if yeah. I don't have an FBI file now, I've been doing something wrong. Right. But what's important to note about this is that the Federal Reserve Bank of New York does not intend to build a completely new platform. Their intention is to establish a relationship with an existing market leader, i.e., Facebook, etc. Likely one of the information mining and gathering platforms already in existence, such as a large search engine with uh, whom they can then integrate their systems. Hmm. The key point is that the technology for what the Federal right. Reserve if is the looking Federal for Reserve, already exists. If the Federal Reserve hooks up with the the, the government, which was is certainly not an amazing uh, uh, thing to uh, imagine, and then the government says to Facebook or whatever um, you know big website out there, look. You're going to work hand in hand with our organization. Or, I'm pretty sure they already have, actually. I, I wouldn't, wouldn't doubt it at all. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like maybe they're just going to be a new customer of, of the data mining operations of Google and Facebook right. and Twitter, mm-hmm. because that's what these that's what these organizations do. What do you, why do you think it's free to join Facebook? Why do you think it's free to get a Gmail account? Yeah, it's free because you're the product. Why do you think it's free to do Google searches? They're going to they're going to advertise to you. There's data mining at the wazoo in, in these operations. It's it's really uh, if you think about the technology involved here, they can monitor the pulse of society, you know, moment by moment if they want to. The more you segment a population, the more valuable they are. So, for instance, if you you know if you're just looking at um, for you know males, they're not that expensive. If you're looking for males between the ages of 25 and 54, they bump up a little bit. If you're looking for males between the ages of 25 and 54 who have an interest in, say, liberty politics, you know, it gets a little more expensive as you go. And as you add every new criteria upon these folks, you can sell the same people at a higher price. And this is obviously what any advertising um, you know, venue, ad venue is what it's called, whether it's uh, you know, Google, your newspaper, Free Talk Live. All of these are ad venues. I mean, the reality of Free Talk Live is that we do this. We talk during the breaks between the commercials so that you'll sit around and listen to the commercials. I mean, that's, that's how this works. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose there's other radio shows that might do, uh, I know that NPR does a, basically a subscription model, but they, they have advertisers too in the form of underwriters. And, you know, essentially when you're talking about radio, you're, t- you're reaching a large audience and the per person tends to be rather inexpensive. But if somebody's going on the internet and they're looking for, Inside the eggshell egg scramblers, you want to, and you have are an inside the eggshell egg scrambler manufacturer. You need to get a hold of that person, and you're willing to pay significantly more. Your competition is too, so you're bidding them. You know they're bidding back and forth, and and this makes for a situation where you know obviously these ad venues are are going to want to find as much information as possible about somebody. Well, the question that that comes up for me, uh, privacy and security are very important to me personally. Um, and it didn't sound from the, the sounds of the article whether you're the guise of Facebook privacy, which changes on almost a daily basis, especially <laughs> recently, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And and you, it would sound to me that they don't even need to get into cahoots with Facebook or Twitter. If you don't know what your privacy settings are, your your stuff is open and out there for anyone to review. 
I've got to admit that I don't know that much about the privacy settings. Generally, if I don't want Facebook or Twitter to have information, I won't give it, it to them. There. And uh, that's the brightest mm-hmm. thing to do. But no. um, you know, that th- there's there's a lot of stuff that I mean, I I you know, I put information that other people won't put on there just because I want to be contactable by advertisers and things like that. So it you know, it, it, you you kind of play this game um, with uh, social media. You know, how far do you want to be out? How far do you want to network? How much privacy do you want to have? And it makes it very interesting. 855-450-FREE. That's the SACL toll-free call-in line here on Free Talk Live. My name is Jacob Hornberger. I'm president of the Future of Freedom Foundation, which Congressman Ron Paul awarded for having an outstanding freedom website. Write us at fff at fff.org, and we'll send you a free three-month subscription to our monthly journal of libertarian essays and our booklet, Economic Liberty in the Constitution, which George Mason University economics professor Walter Williams praised in a recent column. That's FFF at FFF.org. <laughs> Free Talk Live, 855-453. It's a stakeholder toll-free call in line. 855-450-3733. We might be able to squeeze you in the last few minutes here of Free Talk Live. It's Mark with you. Nemi. And Wayne. Nemi, by the way, uh, thank you for being on the show this evening, and I'm going to invite you back next week. I think Hooray. you've done a fine job. Thanks uh, for having me, Mark. Rounded things really out. And um, also, I'd like to tell people about the AMP program. Uh, for just $3 a month, you can join Free Talk Live's subscription program. There's a few benefits, including a uh, commercial-free podcast for amplifiers. It's amp.freetalklive.com. But most importantly, it's about supporting the message of liberty. Free Talk Live delivers uh, two people on 110 radio stations across the country, two XM channels. Um, we're, you know, f- reach far and wide, and you can support, frankly, I think one of the best ways to uh, spread the ideas of liberty, Free Talk Live, and you can do it for three bucks a month. It's amp.freetalklive.com. So, out of San Francisco, go figure, there's a story <laughs> about apparently some people are testing the limits on public nudism. This is from therawstory.com. No shirt, no shoes, no service. It's a sign you might see in lots of U.S. stores. And San Francisco restaurateurs might have to add no pants to the list as a row of flares over uh, nudism in the vibrant heart of the city's gay community. And on a sunny day in September, Woody Miller strolls through the district known as Castro. This is uh, Castro really is ground zero for the gay bomb um, and <laughs> frankly, in the entire West Coast. He's tall and fit with a long gray beard and heavy silver nose ring and wearing nothing more than sneakers, a baseball cap and a watch. All right. I go naked on a nice day because I feel like I like the feel of the sun and the air on my skin, says Miller, 55. Who's All of his skin. One of the city's growing number of public <laughs> nudists, probably known as or excuse me, popularly known as naked guys. There's nothing. And by the way, you're not hearing a lot of naked gals, you know, just not. Well, I don't I don't know. We were talking during the break about this and and I would be probably more inclined to go naked in San Fran than I would be over in say Brattleboro, Vermont where there's the tendency for snow. Yeah, the Brattleboro, Vermont did have the um did, did have a, an issue going on with this a couple of years ago. They had really no law against being naked downtown and some people were doing it. And not surprisingly, 
they fixed more that. Men. More men. <laughs> they did. Temporarily. I don't know if they fixed it permanently. I'm, I'm not 100% no, sure. No, I, th- I think they in- instituted the um, the city ordinance banning it from downtown okay. um, for, the, for the duration of the summer and yeah. then repealed it for winter because, I mean, who yeah. in their right mind? Right. 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 Well, That's not going to be a problem. Who would want to slip on ice and fall naked? Yeah. Who would want to uh, be ooh. outside in uh, right. you know, exactly. Exactly. New England? So, There's always somebody. <laughs> January. But, but it never got picked back up again, if I, if I remember correctly. But also, it was largely, and the the incident there was, and this is this is how these things go. It went from people hanging out naked, which is like that's weird, but okay, <laughs> to somebody decided to bring a beatbox or a, a boombox downtown and dance in a in a suggestive manner naked. Yeah. And so there you go. See, see well, that gets the locals all riled up. Yeah. <laughs> well, these are there's so many ex hippies in in Brattleboro. I'm just surprised they'd be so puritanical. Well, um, I, what I, what I, I, you know, that that's just what happened, and you know, at some point or another, you're going to cross the line for just about everybody. If it isn't jan- d- dancing in a suggestive man- manner, buck naked in the middle of town square, then it's copulating in the middle of town square. I mean, whatever. I mean, there's always one next bathing step. in the town, bathing in the town fountain, <laughs> right? <laughs> just taking a little bath right there. There's always some step or another, and um, you know that, and they found it there in Brattleboro. But I think, I think you're. Right, Sarah, that it has not, um, that it isn't, you know, that it hasn't been a problem since then. Right. And it was largely males again. I don't, you know, I'm not going to go out and, I don't know. Why is it males that want to go naked and not females? You got me. (laughs) So um, there's, Nothing obscene about the human body, uh, says Miller. The belief is that there's something that's taught. The belief is something that's taught. It's just another form of prejudice. Home to the gay rights movement of the 60s and 70s, the Castro, where sex shops coexist with trendy cafes and bars, is still one of the most free-thinking neighborhoods in this famously liberal city. But even in Castro, there are limits, said Scott Weiner, a 14-year resident of the neighborhood. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, God, for a man named Weiner in this story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> resident of the neighborhood that is a newly elected Democratic member of the San Francisco City Council. He's proposing legislation that require nudists in San Francisco to cover public benches or seats before sitting down on them. He's not saying you've got to wear pants. <laughs> He's just saying you have to bring a towel with you when you sit down on a bench. Mm. Uh, to me... I suppose I can understand to some extent where he's coming from. Uh, it's not asking a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently they'd have to cover themselves altogether before entering a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Violators would be fined $100 for the first offense, 200 for the second, and 1000 or more, plus a year in jail for a third time around. Castro is ground zero when it comes to public nudity, and particularly Jane Warner, uh, in J- particularly Jane Warner Plaza, an enclosed seating area at the throbbing intersection <laughs> Throbbing, huh? Thank you, thank you, you. you picked up you. <laughs> Intersection of Castro and Market Streets, the counselor said. In the uh, last few years, it's become more obnoxious and in your face. They hang out and pick up uh, a lot of, of the seats there and sit down without covering. It's unsanitary. Probably is in some in some cases. What's that? Well, I would, yeah, you, I mean, yeah. You've got microscopic fecal matter matter on there, you know. Uh, you, you know, I mean, it's it's not clean. It's hard to, it's hard to get entirely clean, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Miller thinks Weiner's initiative is unnecessary. <laughs> putting something, <laughs> putting something down before you sit down. 
I think that's common etiquette. He said, you don't need to legislate that. It's right here in the nudist handbook. You don't go anywhere without your towel. Of course there's a nudist handbook. <laughs> I don't even I bet, it's, I, I bet it's available for free on the internet. It, it, I hope it is. It's good stuff, though. <laughs> the idea. I mean, uh, you know, if somebody's going to follow the nudist handbook, then somebody's not going to follow it. Mm. California state law prohibits exposing one's genitals with lewd intent. But the way the law is applied in San Francisco, so long as no one is obviously aroused, what's lewd in the uh, eye of the beholder? Members of the public can perform uh, a citizen's arrest, but police won't arrest nudists uh, absent a complaint. Miller's disdain for Wiener's proposal is uh, shared by another Castro nudist, a writer and businessman George Davis, 65, who in 2007 ran for mayor on a platform of making clothing optional in Golden Gate Park. <laughs> Well, that'll get you some. Of course voters. he did. <laughs> Thank goodness of course he did. It's it's an irrational fear. He said, wearing a hat, sunglasses, and a mobile phone on his hip. That's it. Oh, that, and, wait a minute. That's not naked. <laughs> <laughs> referring to worries about nudism and public health, you ought to be more afraid if uh, if I cough on you than sit where I sat. There's, there's an argument to be had for that, too. Wiener's bill would also ban restaurants from serving naked pa- patrons, an idea that Michael England, a server at uh, Orphan and Andy's, a 24-hour diner in the Castro, thought rather redundant. Orphan Andy's already has a dress code, typical right across the United States, that, re- that requires diners to wear shirts and shoes and pants, too, I suppose. But Davis pointed out that other restaurants do serve naked diners. I don't know why they uh, want to burden restaurateurs with a whole other level of bureaucracy. It just seems to be a little bit too micromanaging. And this is where I have to say I agree. I don't like, you know, I'm bothered by the idea of people wandering around naked. Um, It bugs me. Are you afraid you'll be aroused? um, No, no, that's not it. I just... I, you know, for me, there's certain levels of decorum, and that that stretches beyond it. I suppose it might be interesting to see, but if a restaurateur wants to let people dine naked in their business, that's their business. Be a hell of a promotional video. I, <laughs> I suppose it would. <laughs> you know, to, it's one thing public. I when you're talking about public property, you're talking about everybody's wants, needs, and desires. Uh, you know, when it comes down to that stuff, when you're talking about private property. As far as I'm concerned, a business owner should, if, if you want to take your clothes off at a business and uh, sit around naked, a business officer, excuse me, um, owner doesn't have a problem with that, then that's the business between the two of you. I think that that's absolutely uh, what some, someone's choice here is. So um, essentially, it just goes on to talk about the uh, different size uh, wieners on one sides, and <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> he's just in denial. On others. Nice. He's just in denial of his wienerness. So does does this this wiener guy have his own Twitter account? I don't know. <laughs> um, he's a he's running running for office. So you know, what can another I say? wiener in office. Apparently, the uh, the folks at uh, Hot Cookie Bakery is uh, my intuition. The Dan Glazer there says. My intuition is, yeah, I know, it's, just, it's almost a joke. My intuition is that it helps businesses, he says. We have no problem with naked people at Hot Cookie. We sell cookies in the shape of penises. I'll bet they do. Of course yep. they do. So, and boobies, too. There you go. Public do they nudis- sell cakes? Cakes? I don't know. I mean, what? I, I, you got Pull me. it up on Google. Uh, hot Cookie Bakery. And, uh, two boobie Castro. cookies and a penis cookie. There you go.
You can uh, catch us in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Download the, the programs. We'll be live 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, seven days a week. All right. It's another Edgington Post, and uh, today I have with me Joshua Daniels. Joshua, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Excellent. Now, Joshua, you run a little uh, little solar company called Sound Wisdom. Is that right? That is correct. So um, we have teamed up with you recently to offer uh, people these solar generators, which I think are a really great idea. And they can go to uh, freetalklivesolar.com and check out these generators. And I could tell them why I think they're great, but you probably can do a better job. So go ahead. <laughs> wow. Um, well, the whole solar generator idea was created by uh, another company that put out a, a nice little niche unit, uh, but a lot of people found it limited. And particularly that you couldn't add any solar panels or batteries and increase your runtime or decrease your time to refill the batteries. Uh, so we looked at some of the things that people had said they really wanted, and we put together um, what they said they wanted, plus what we at the Sea Lions Foundation, which is a whole separate thing, but with their commercial arm, what we really wanted in a system. And we came up with a 5,000-watt system that... And what that means is it's like the horsepower in a truck, all right? Uh, that's how much load it can carry, but we're not talking about how big the fuel tank is. That's a different matter. It'll give you 10,000 watts in an emergency if you really need it. Okay. Uh, but 5,000 yeah, 5, is what it'll do all day long without overheating or causing any problems. The 10,000 watt would be like grabbing your car with the gas pedal on the floor all the all time. All the time. You'll, yeah, you'll burn it out fairly soon. But at 5,000 watts, you go forever. And we created it so that you can add as many solar panels and as many batteries as you want. There was only a, it was a small technical problem to solve, and it's a little bit of an education challenge because you have to get the end user, when they're adding on batteries at home, you know, they're 1,000 miles away or wherever they are, they have to have good diagrams and instructions on how to do that so that it all works. But we put all that together. Our user manual is... 45 pages long, Jeez. with lots of pictures. Well, we're partly in the education business. Yeah, you'd have uh, to be, because I certainly don't know that much about solar, so I'd need to know that stuff. Well, we we really, with this system, we're getting people over a hump that they not, may not realize is in front of them. The solar industry, for a long time, has tried to paint itself as very high-tech and very complicated and so that's created kind of a wall in people's minds mm -hmm. when the high, the high tech part is actually manufacturing the solar panel. After that, it's pretty mundane. And sure. I mean, it's so, high tech to build a car. It's not particularly high tech to drive one. Right. Or, or to pull the motor out of one and put it in another one. We learned to do that stuff at home because, you know, we like you know messing with cars, but we'd never build one. Right. So with what our system will really do for a lot of people is it, it gets them into a solar backup system. I mean, this thing would run a 25 cubic foot freezer all day and night, every day, take it completely off the grid without adding any additional panels and batteries. How big is a 25 cubic foot freezer? How, what's that? Uh, it's the great big one grandma had down in the basement that you could put six or eight bodies in. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, not that you would. But it's a good sized uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good size one. 
Okay, I mean, because they have the little ones, and I, I honestly don't know how big one is. I mean, if it, so, uh, how many people could actually? I mean, like t- two grown folks could climb into a twenty-five cubic foot uh, freezer. They'd be awfully close, but would that be the right uh, size six, or bigger than that? Uh, six, six, six people if they were friendly. That's big. Okay, <laughs> um, I think that might be bigger than most people run uh, as far as in their houses. I mean, what it, it, it is? Okay. That's the kind of thing you find in the basement or even uh, out in the, the barn at a farm. I have one in my uh, basement. I don't think it's – it certainly couldn't fit six people in it. <laughs> you probably have a 17. If it's about five and a half feet long and about three or four feet tall, that's, that's about a 17-footer. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it, it'll, it'll take a big one off the grid. Now, to run however much stuff you want to run during a power outage – that takes a little bit of, of discussion because we have yeah. to say, what are you going to run and how long are you going to run it? But I think that we this system that. really uh, appeals to – this is re- this is really focused for sort of two types of folks. And if I, if I could, and maybe you, you've got another um, couple, but to what comes to my mind is, A – People that want to be covered in the case of an um, an outage, you know, people that would normally go out and buy a generator should go out and buy this, and B, uh, people that would want a sort of expandable solar system. And yes. let me let me let me explain the you know why on the first one. So the the people that would want a generator. If you go out and get a generator, there's a, a couple of options. You can get a propane generator, and that's going to cost you oh ten thousand um, dollars. I wouldn't. I, I know that. I know a friend that got one. The studio here has a backup generator, and I have a reasonably good idea of how what a good size generator will uh, set you back, and as far as propane generator goes, does that sound right to you? Uh, that is correct, and there's hidden costs, uh, like in a power outage. Uh, if you're on propane, that's great. If you've got until your tank is dry. If you're on natural gas, you have as long as there's gas pressure in the system because the natural gas pipelines run on 110 volts. Ah, so so with the propane, um, you know, it can run out, and of course the natural gas will go just as long as, uh, you know, they're, they're still getting gas to you. So you're still sort of working off the grid at that point. Um, and, okay. well, moved, yeah, yeah, and with propane, you've just moved to a different grid. Yeah. So they um and and then the the last option of course is the um the 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 normal gas generator that um goes that you buy at Home Depot. Um the you know it's it's out there and you can get one um you know of of certain different sizes and you know those things are those things you can get pretty much you know anywhere but they're you know they're they're noisy. So you've got if you want to run something at night, they they make lots of noise. They also produce carbon monoxide, which is a deadly killer. Uh, four thousand Americans a year in the hospital due to gas generators, and four hundred in the morgue every year. Also, From gasoline. That that's a lot of dead people. Um, <laughs> also, gasoline has yeah. to be kept uh, fresh, and you have to have put a stabilizer in it, and um, you know that kind of thing. So it's a real pain to keep going. I- so this is yep. just a superior yep. generator than all those other options that are out there. Any of the options that I can think of. So, you know, for instance, you and can you can even have a you can have your refrigerator, your freezer, and maybe a couple of things in your house on this backup generator system. And then if the power goes out, you're backed up. I mean, you may not have the lights, and you may have to use some candles and all that other good stuff. But you're not going to lose all the food in your freezer and your fridge. That's right. 
and you're going to be able to you know pump up pump water from your pump and you know and all these things that are are so important when the power goes out that's right and if you want to do those things you don't have to buy more generators you buy more batteries and more solar panels and we specifically did not get into market protection where you have to buy those from us right you can get those from any company and our solar panel solar panel our manual shows you how to hook them in so um, you know that, that's a huge advantage. So if, if for whatever reason you find that you want a couple of other things off um, in the you know off the grid, and that's the other advantage to this, if if you get it as a as, as a backup, is not only are you backed up in the case of an emergency, but you're backed up all the time. You're um, you know so this the system will at some point or another pay for itself, or at least it mitigates the cost of it because your freezer, your refrigerator, your uh, well, your well pump, and you know whatever else you want to put on this. They're off the grid entirely all the time. So when you do have a power power outage, they're fine. And you know, but what about um, like winters and things like that? What? How does uh, you know? I mean, some some places don't have as much sun as others. Well, that's where our intellectual flexibility and willingness to let you do things your own way starts to shine. This system is built so that it will take power from windmills, water wheels. Uh, DC welders, the aforementioned gas generator, anything that's producing DC current that would charge a regular 12-volt battery, and we use deep-cycle golf cart batteries, this system will take in and put in the batteries and hand it back to you as regular household 110-volt current. So in the winter, what a lot of places really have is wind. During the summer, they got sun. So if you put together your array so that you've got some sun and some wind, then you're covered at both ends of the spectrum. Now, and if, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, just well, we don't sell windmills currently. We're developing one for low speed and small wind, uh, but we don't sell windmills. We don't sell water wheels. We just built this system, knowing that other people would, with their own ingenuity, find new ways to get DC power. It's the simplest electrical power there is to generate. And we wanted to build them a system that would take it and then give it back in a useful form. Now, um, you know, a lot of places, like I get, you know, here in New Hampshire, we get sun every, you know, couple few days during the, the winter. Um, so do you, and I'm kind of wondering, can, can sunlight go through the clouds to some extent? I mean, how, how much, because this system, you don't need to have sun all the time for it to work. Obviously, it works at night. These batteries, uh, you know, they, they charge up. You may have to have a larger system in a um, region that doesn't get quite as much sun, but um, sure. that, that, that's pretty much how it works, right? That's right, and it's roughly a one-to-one ratio. If you're getting half as much sunlight as on a sunny day, you're generating about half as much power from your solar panels, but you are generating it, and it is going into your batteries where it belongs. Gotcha. Yeah. So now the other folks, we had uh, talked about the people that uh, want to get a, um, a generator. Um, the other folks are people that would, say, want to start with an expandable system um, and work their way up, right? Yes. These are people that they never really wanted to be on the grid to begin with. And you can get off the grid. You've been able to for a long time, but you can't save money doing it. Because every time the price of solar or wind comes down, so does the price of uh, building a new coal-fired plant. And or a gas-fired plant. Gotcha. So, you know, but the people that, you know, they're building a house, uh, we get these calls all the time, somewhere remote, and they would have to pay $50,000 to run power out to it to get on the grid. And they say, well, how much would it cost me to just make it solar? Now, for them, that would work. 
Or no, people that just want to go off the grid entirely. I mean, some people want to do it for their own peace of mind and because they want to stick it to the man or whatever. I mean, I frankly would like to That's, be off the grid, but there's power lines running by, right by my house. Oh, and they're probably causing you health problems from the dirty power that they transmit. Well, I don't know. Uh, which is a, I, I don't know exactly how close they are, but I understand that they, they are not good things to be close to. <laughs> yes, they're not. Um, yeah, a lot of people just want to be off the grid. They're sick and tired of the dependence that's engineered into our whole society. They see good things about society. They don't want to just leave, but some things they want to eliminate. And a system like this is one that they can start at whatever level they can afford and yep. then build to where they're completely off the grid. Or if, if they never got on the grid, they can start small, just have the, you know, the fridge and some lights and a computer for communication, and then from there build up to where they have a nice, bright house with floodlights out front that shine all night whatever else they may want. They can do it at their pace, and this is the only system with which you can do that. Yeah, this is um, you know that's that's what's really interesting about this is you've got a couple of systems. The uh, there's the the, the SG one is what you really pitch, and that's a you know thirty seven hundred dollars system essentially. And um, you can take that, and it's it's a great it's a, it's a great system. It's a nice one to start with. They you know you've got bigger systems and smaller systems depending on what people need. But you know just to start, they can take off their refrigerator, their freezer, and, you know, the whatever, you know, we had talked about uh, the well pump and whatever it is that they might want to take off initially. And then over over time, they can say, well, you know, this is, I'd like to, I'd like to take this off and that off. So they can add on um, panels and, you, you know, at and some point is, or another, you're off. That's right. That's right. Now, a note on well pumps. Most well pumps are 220 volt that we've run into so far. Uh, for a situation like that, we offer a 220-volt system, although what's more popular is to get our SG-1, the 110-volt system, and buy a 220-volt 220 transformer and plug into the front and run the well pump off of that. Now, I've, I've wondered just, you know, if you pump in, if you, if you put in, say, a freezer, a refrigerator, and a well pump all in this uh, same system, um, this is just coming to my mind here, and I'm sure somebody's asking it, because, uh, and, and you can, and they can call you, and, 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 and you'll answer questions for them if they come up with it. Ten in the morning to nine at night, seven days a week. You are a dedicated uh, individual, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't do all that. I have technicians that I refer phone calls off. We call it phone watch. Uh, where they're <laughs> they're taking care of whatever other work they're working on, and they're answering the phone and, and handling questions. But education is the first phone call always. It's typically 20 to 40 minutes of explaining to people how solar works in general, what they can and cannot expect. It isn't magic, like some companies will tell you. Um, and then usually the, the prospect says, okay, thank you very much, and then they go and they do some research, and then they find out that everything we told them was stone-cold truth. <laughs> And you've got a better yeah. system than uh, than uh, most of the other folks out there. Now, what uh, best bang for the buck on the market? Period. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I found too. And um, you know, it it your your box may not be sort of molded futuristic plastic or something like that, but it's easier to get in and work on. Um, and you know, you can and people can do this stuff on their own. And I think that that's what um, you guys really um, you know really are making available to people. But so my question is, if you've got a freezer, you've got a refrigerator, and you've got a well pump, and for whatever uh, reason they all kick on at the same time, because refrigerators aren't on all the time, freezers aren't on all the time, and well pumps aren't all on, on aren't on all the time. What happens? 
this system won't even break a sweat. Wow. There you go. I've never seen a well pump. I've never seen a well pump that drew more than 1,500 watts, even if it was 220 volts. So 1,500 for the well pump. The refrigerator is typically between 650 and 850. Uh, so now we're looking at, at the high end, 2350. The freezer is usually a little lower, between five and 700. So now we're up to about 3,000. Allow 40% for startup surge, which is very high these days. And you're still right at our 5,000-watt green line. If you go above 5,000 watts, the system can handle it. You're not running into trouble until you get up around 87, 8,800. That's when you're really pushing those electronics, and they'll give it to you because this, I mean, this is built such that if you're really going to draw that much power, we're assuming that it's a life-threatening situation. You've absolutely got to have this power for whatever reason, so we're going to give it to you, but it's going to do a little damage at those really high levels. But at 5,000, 6,000, it won't even break a sweat. So there you go, folks. Go ahead, get your family, get you and your family protected with this uh, backup generator. It's a really awesome one. Um, you know, we haven't, Free Talk Live hasn't gotten involved with other um, solar situations, and there's a reason. You know, we like to bring the best we can to our, our listeners. Um, and, you know, this one is the best of the market from what I can tell. Um, and Joshua, you, they can, go, of course, go to freetalklivesolar.com. But how do they get a hold That's of correct. you telephone wise? Nine one eight six one two four zero nine zero. Okay, that's freetalklivesolar.com, dot com. Nine one eight six one two four zero nine zero. That's correct. Joshua, thanks for the interview, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. 